Hey there, folks. Uh, welcome back. It's the Uticast, episode 310. Joining us this week, uh, our good friends AJ Bates and Chris Perez of Handsome Bob join us on the pod to talk about their upcoming show, Handshake City, June 10th. Go to handshake.city for more information. We're looking forward to this show a lot. Very long, extended conversation with AJ and Chris. Uh, also this week, Kevin and I uh, will talk a little bit about perfect movies. Some Memorial Day movies like Jaws that I watched this week, which might be the greatest film ever made. Uh, we'll talk about Legacy Admissions at College, talk about Eric Carl, we'll talk about The Wire. Uh, we'll talk about history lessons. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Rugrats. Uh, all of this, folks, and so much more. Nice, loose, relaxing podcast at the end of your hopefully long weekend, if you had a chance to have a long weekend. Uh, as always, folks, no matter what you did, we are happy, as always, to have you here for another episode of The Youthcast. Uh, welcome back to the show, folks. Episode 310 mm. of the Uticast. Uh, joining us this week, our good friends AJ Bates and Chris Perez of the band Handsome Bob. Great guys. Great guys. Great to have them in studio. Great band. Very cool band. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm really excited that they're going to play at Handshake again this year. Uh, mm-hmm. June 10th, uh, 6.30 at the park for Thursday performance in the park series we've been going on. Park, yeah. Uh, really excited for it. They put on a great show mm-hmm. last time. They're really, really cool dudes. Great, fun interview. Very long interview. One of our mm. one of our longest in in a long time. I would say. What happens when you get back in the studio? <laughs> it's true. It it is funny. the The Zoom thing did really put a kibosh on the long interviews. Mm-hmm. And this is a and I'll pull behind the curtain here. One of the reasons I had a problem with it sometimes, and you can probably go back. I'm not, I'm not going to document it. You guys can do this if you want. Um, <laughs> If you go back and listen to certain episodes of the show, certain interviews where they're on Zoom, mm-hmm. what happens is by the time the interview starts to the time the interview ends, the delay between me and the person gets bigger. Ooh. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it starts yeah, yeah. off okay, and then at the end I can tell that there is at least a five-second, four-second gap between what I'm saying and what they're getting. Yeah, that's tough. It's just it's just unnatural. It's super unnatural and doesn't mm-hmm. lay for any sort of like conversational... Uh, you know, the nuance of conversation. Like you'll you'll hear in this interview, we were all over the place. We're talking about music theory. We talked about him grow uh Chris growing up in Florida, we talked about AJ growing up in Utica, we got all sorts of it just it's all over the place. And that's what happens when you have lots of conversation pieces and everyone's just live in studio. Yeah, yeah, that's what they're here for. And also it's Memorial Day weekend, the long weekend, so people uh so they're having some beers. So people people were out early for lunch. <laughs> people were out early uh for lunch. Kevin, how have you uh, how have you been celebrating uh, this long weekend here? Uh, slowly but surely. Slowly but surely. I, I had a good weekend. I had a great weekend actually. I got to meet my brand new nephew. Uh, oh, it was yeah. amazing. It was yeah. amazing. My sister is an inspiration as always. Um, just you know, taken to it like a duck to water, just as my brother did. You know, yeah. I'm so proud of both of them. It was so cool to see him and her and her husband and you know their family kind of getting into it. It's been weird, you know, this year with Corona. My sister works in healthcare. And was pregnant, so I didn't get to spend as much time as I normally would think I yeah. would during this time. Like, in my head, I always thought, you know, you'd be there every day, all the time. But 
I hadn't seen them in a while. So it was wild to see, you know, the baby's about four weeks old now. So it was crazy to get in there and just see them, you know, all the the telltale signs all over the house. You know, all the things you see and everything. It was just, it was cool though. It was really good to, to get together. My brother was there with his wife and their daughter. And... Well, I saw the picture that you guys posted. Really beautiful picture of the three of you guys on Instagram there. Mm. Uh, with with the, the two babies. And I'm like, oh, it's nice the babies are together now too, yeah, right? Like, yeah, definitely. Get ready for that because that's the fun part about having... Uh, uh, and we've got that with tons. A lot of my cousins yeah. who are as close as brothers and sisters have kids. And all the kids haven't been together yet, so... Here's my old man take on this whole thing. I have a lot of nieces and nephews in that age range, right? Mm. Like this, like ten to let's call it like sixteen range. Eight oh, to that six. range. Yeah. I'm saying yeah. in this range now, and I keep waiting for like all the family events when they like get together and like hang out. I'm like, oh look, you know my my cousin's hanging out with my niece, and they're you know talking about whatever TikTok, yeah, yeah. and whatever it doesn't happen when they're together. They're all yeah. like, <laughs> it's like this generation doesn't really hang the way that like me and my cousins hung. Well, because they're less. They're less bored, right? They're still they're still just too young too. Like yeah. They're in the ten, eleven. That's a little bit a little bit too young to want to go hang with the adults for a lot of kids. I have one cousin, one one niece mm. who has now entered the I'm escaping the kids when we do dinner and I want to sit with the adults. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. Oh, probably yeah. the oldest one, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah of she's a, she's not interested in anything the kids have to say anymore. Because well, that the gap between like the ages when you're like ten and sixteen, that's like a big gap. Like ten year olds and sixteen year olds have wildly divergent interests, right? It's yeah. not like a a twenty year old and a twenty six year old where it's like, yeah, we're all about all the same stuff, you know. It's funny too, because like um, I have a great time with my niece and nephew, but they, my nieces and nephews, even in the same age, don't always like the same stuff. Yeah, of course, right? So like, even when they're hanging out together, I'm like, why aren't you guys? Like, doing something, like, because one of them's into fashion and one of them's into, like, internet memes. Right? Mm. <laughs> right? It's like, there's a like, weird disconnect in what... Sure. I don't know. I just, I want them all to be into, like, soccer and playing a game in the backyard. That's never going to happen. Right. Like, God, come on, guys. Let's kick it's the gotta old... got to be your kids. got to be my be your kids. kids. Yeah, I yeah. know. I know. One of these, I can't, that's the whole joy of me wanting to have kids one day. It's just like, um, I want to mold them into the, what I couldn't have been. I want to live vicariously through them. Right? Like, yeah, that's yeah. the... <laughs> It's yeah. not. It's not the reason the you're supposed to have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I. I um, yeah, so I, it was good. I celebrated the weekend well. It was. It was great. Beautiful. I actually didn't do very much this weekend. To be smart. Honest. Very smart. Um, well, I, I feel bad though because like I, I we didn't really get a chance. Me and it my was mom. Cold and, and like, rainy. It was cold and rainy. Yeah. I didn't really get a ton of chance for Memorial Day to like go see my mom and my stepdad the way we normally would because everyone's been kind of busy the last two days and sure. it's been kind of a wreck. So. Didn't have the normal. We'd normally have a little barbecue, do something. Didn't you go up there on like Friday. Doesn't count. Oh, it's come, not on. <laughs> come on. Doesn't, doesn't count. I'll tell you what. D. <laughs> Pass. I know. I know. I know. I know. Um. So yeah, I didn't really, didn't really even think too much about Memorial Day. Until it didn't feel today. like yeah. the normal like hot yeah. dogs and barbecue hot because it was cold and rainy all weekend. Uh. By the way, shout out to all our active uh and current. Uh, military listeners out there who are listening to the show, support you for what you're doing, military folks. I don't know. People might listen. Active service people. Yeah, those veterans. Are, that's Veterans Day. Veterans Day. Well, veterans out there, folks who've been, folks who passed away. Yeah, for all, about for, them. for all you listeners from beyond the grave. For all from beyond the grave. Halloween episode coming up a couple months, guys. Couple, Just hang tight. <laughs> uh, I will say, I did do my classic Memorial Day tradition, though, which is uh, I watch Jaws, which mm. is something that Dano and my good friend Dano and I do. He texts me all the time. I was morning. wondering. I thought you just, because I saw the other day when I was coming yep. through in the morning, yep. and I was like, oh, watching Jaws, and I was like, I wonder how that happened. Memorial Day, it's a classic Memorial mm. Day watch-along for, for I had Dan a hot dog on. this weekend. 
a real hot dog. I was, and I was at a party, and there was there was hot dogs. Yeah, it was <laughs> like a little. I was at a birthday get together where they were grilling on Saturday, and there were hot dogs. Let's go Memorial Day weekend. I have a little hot dog. Nice. So that was close to Memorial Day. Close to Memorial Day. Close to Memorial Day. Uh, and I was thinking about it while watching Jaws, mm-hmm. which I think is again, I just one of my favorite movies. And remember my whole kick a couple weeks ago with Goodfellas, where I was like, oh man, I just watch Goodfellas. And I think it might be one of my favorite. Yeah. Might be the best movie I've ever seen. It might be my favorite movie. You specifically said I think this might be better than Jaws for me. Yeah. So I watched Jaws this weekend, and uh, I was wrong. Turns out. Turns out Jaws is a fundamentally perfect film. There's nothing wrong with it. There's not a scene that's bad. There's not an actor who's bad. There's no wasted motion. The movie is. If, if you can get past the shark looking a little wonky, uh, the movie is fundamentally perfect. I don't have any problem with that movie whatsoever. Yeah. It goes back to being my favorite movie of all time. Just, I, took, just took one watch. It's pretty unimpeachable as far as like a filmmaking achievement goes. You know, there's a, there's a reason that Jaws is Jaws, so to speak. Now, this brings me to something that I saw on Twitter this week and I, I responded to it. There was a Twitter poll, not Twitter poll, but like you know how people like do things on Twitter and it passes around like, name your top five favorite movies. And then everyone just sort of retweets it and quote tweets it mm-hmm. so somebody put one of these up in his name name their five perfect films mm-hmm. right and they put uh star wars die hard jurassic park the incredibles uh and what was it uh jaws right so i was like that's pretty good so i came up with my list mm. for my five perfect films mm. okay so i'm gonna read them to you okay. and you can tell me which ones i'm lying about okay okay are I you ready it. i love it uh jaws uh okay take yeah. it take it good fellas it starts to get into a conversation which is a perfect meme, but go ahead. Whiplash. Come on. <laughs> you don't Come like on. Whiplash? Come on, Whiplash. Oh, you know I like Whiplash. It's not that I don't like Whiplash, but okay, yeah, sure, Whiplash. Creed. <laughs> Yo, Creed is a great movie. Creed is a great here, movie. Here was my argument for Creed. It's been a long time since I watched a movie where I feel like the movie got me going, like, emotionally. That movie pumped me up when I was mm. watching it. In a way that was like sort of a natural progression where I was like, I'm rooting for this guy. And then I was like, I would run through a brick wall to help out Adonis Creed here in this movie. Mm. Right? That's sort of where I I fell in with Creed. I was Mm -hmm. like, this movie feels like it got me. Mm. Maybe it's not a perfect movie. Mm. But uh, it's perfect. It's crazy. And then Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Uh, Which I've like definitely seen. It's a, great, it's a great movie. Probably. That's a lot like, of those movies from like, chi- that's like a childhood movie that I definitely saw a bunch like when I was a kid, but I probably didn't revisit in a long time. Yeah, so those are my five. How many of those are real, you think? Two? Jaws and Goodfellas are the reality? Yeah, you could really make that case. Because um, like we said, what's, what is, you know, what does perfect mean? You know, like it's, it's like if you were talking about songs, like Bohemian Rhapsody and Skinny Love by Bon Iver are like... <laughs> Perfect songs for different reasons, right? You know what I mean? Like, they're very different things. Whiplash and Goodfellas are very different things. I, yeah, I don't, I guess I didn't know what, like, I feel like, I guess in this case was movies that I watched and I wouldn't necessarily change anything in any of these movies. Mm. Uh, I guess with Goodfellas, I've talked about maybe I would shorten it, but I don't know if I'd change I any would, particular would, thing about give the me movie. More. Give me more of it. That's fine. Yeah, so maybe that's the narrative I was going with. These I are see. movies, I, I feel like I everything is cool. I wouldn't like necessarily... I bet there would be more than you would think. Well, Die Hard was on this guy's list and I was thinking about Die Hard's pretty... Well, John Carpenter's The Thing. It's like a me. Yeah, it's pretty You know, me, yeah. I mean, like, what do you... There's a lot of... Like, what do you need to change about Pulp Fiction, per se? Uh, I'm sure there's some hipster take on why people don't like Pulp Fiction now is over for them. But I'm talking. I'm talking to you. I'm not. I'm I feel not, like Reservoir Dogs. I need to be the hipster bro. Reservoir Dogs. Somewhere on that list. I think that's a really interesting. You know what I mean. So there's a lot of movies yeah. like that. 
I think it also becomes tough to evaluate any of these things um, with from like a, a, an unbiased perspective, right? Because it's like, well, I've seen this movie so much, I love this movie so much that maybe parts of it, like, I love The Dark Knight, right? And I know The mm-hmm. Dark Knight is not a perfect movie. I understand there's like some, you know, some issues and some different things where it could have been better or done differently because I've seen it so many times and I like it so much. For me, I don't need anything changed. You know what I mean? That, I that was, happens. Uh, like Reservoir Dogs is another good example. When I was going through the list of people who are doing this five perfect films thing on their Twitter, that movie popped up a lot. Dark mm. Dark Knight seems to be pretty high approval rating across Actually, the board. Actually, kind of wrong. The ending is a little off. They had to change some stuff because Heath Ledger had died. And yeah, it gets a little. I don't exactly stick the the, the landing in the end. It, that's fair. I think that's a fair point. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm trying to think about that with Jaws, right? Like, because Jaws, I feel like there's really. I mean, I guess the ending of Jaws is what, like, you have to believe that Chief Brody hit that tank in the shark's mouth with the Why last... Not? Probably a veteran. Probably a veteran. Probably a veteran. In the water. You know what I mean? Shout out. Um, it's tough, right? Uh, there's a few, like, nitpicky things about Jaws I guess I could get into, but not really anything that I would change. Well, and people have different barometers. Like, I would probably say, for me, um, I would ride pretty hard for Inglorious Bastards. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing I need changed from Glorious Bastards, but if somebody made me an impassioned case of why they don't even like it that much, I would probably understand where they were coming from, but it's just not where I'm at, you know? Well, so here's the film nerd thing in me, I think, right? I think when I watch Jaws sometimes, I think it's funny. Not because the movie's funny, but because I know the performances and the actors so well. I've seen it so many times that I just laugh at stuff. That's right? a lot. That's most, That's a lot of things. Anything that's like a rewatch, you know. Just we like, talk about Sopranos, even with Goodfellas. Yeah. We're laughing at like silly stuff that's like a throwaway line, but like it's because it's a thing that like, you know, a friend has done an impression <laughs> of or you can say it out of context and inside joke among your friends and it becomes funny in a different way. Like I think the mayor from Jaws mm-hmm. is a fucking hilarious character Mm -hmm. every scene he's in is so funny and then if I played it for like my mom and my step they'd be like okay why are you laughing why is that funny I don't get it why are you you're howling yeah I just think it's so yeah (laughs) Yeah. I just don't know like maybe it doesn't resonate with people in that maybe Mm -hmm. film in general doesn't always resonate with every person in that particular way you just look at the performance like that was good or that was bad and you don't well I think I think that comes down to uh, repetition and stuff like that too all that stuff that you're talking it's when you've seen some movie or a show you know, 20, 25, so like yeah. a ton of times you just, you absorb it in a different way. You're able to get deeper in there so you can appreciate that weird little thing or like really latch on to a little throwaway line or a scene cut or whatever. Uh, I think that's totally fair. And that kind of leads into my next point I was going to talk about, which is nice Kevin, and smooth. Nice you, and smooth. you've been uh, hounding me for a while to start yes. the show. And I finally decided to start season one of The Wire. Yes. Uh, and I won't get into how I, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Six episodes in. Mm-hmm. But I was sort of thinking about this, like the expectations thing. I talk about this all the time. And I, and I always go back to the Big Lebowski, a Big Lebowski example. For years, Yeah, people were like, I can't believe you've never seen the Big Lebowski. Oh my God, bro. It's the greatest movie of all time. It's so fucking funny, bro. How come you can't... How come you, go watch it right now. Mm-hmm. Right? And I was like, guys, sometimes you just miss stuff. Yeah. I just missed this one. I, yeah. I don't know. I didn't go to. I didn't have anyone to go I was with. Too busy winning. I was too busy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so, no, so, I didn't see how Mr. Gilmore finished. Uh, and especially for some. Yeah, I was too busy winning. Uh, and and you know, at a certain point in time, it's tough to go back on something, right? Mm-hmm. Game of Thrones is another good example. Everyone I knew loved Game of Thrones. Everyone was like, ah, I'm obsessed with Game of Thrones. 
if I go back to watch it now, I have the weight of expectations of everyone being like, dude, Game of Thrones was the hottest television show yeah, yeah. in the world for 10 years. For sure. And I was a little concerned about that with The Wire as I'm starting it because mm-hmm. this is one of those two or three television shows along with Breaking Bad and The Sopranos that shows up on the top of every greatest mm-hmm. television series ever created list, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my big concern with the show. I'm really enjoying it, but I wonder if the expectations for... This to be the greatest television show of all time, quote unquote. I know exactly what you mean. And that can be tough sometimes. And this this uh, comparison just sort of popped into my head as you were saying it. You know what The Wire reminds me a lot of? And you, I think, will know what I mean. The Wire reminds me of OK Computer. Mm. Before mm-hmm. I got into, mm-hmm. before I was really into Radiohead, and I knew like Creep and High and Dry and like some Karma Police and some of the songs. But before, you know, I got deeply into that band years and years ago. I would always read about OK Computer. and it went, There were a lot of albums I read about that I would missed from years before. That people were like, this is actually a really good album. But that was one of the only ones that was ubiquitously people being like, yo, this might be the mm-hmm. best thing that's yeah. ever happened. This might be better than Sgt. Peppers or than <laughs> Pet Sounds or Led Zeppelin IV or whatever's, you know. They're like, this thing might be the thing that beats them all. And that was so ubiquitous and consistent that, like... You almost can't be wrong. Yeah. And it took me a minute because I had listened to OK Computer a couple times. Like, this is like pretty good. I don't really... It's approaching me differently than like a Pearl Jam record. Like, mm-hmm. a, you know, Airbag is different than Alive. You know what I mean? But once I understood what they were doing and saw it, I'm like, oh, of course these people weren't wrong. So Radiohead is an interesting example, right? Because you listened to Radiohead before I did. I knew mm-hmm. Radiohead existed. Yeah. But Radiohead didn't hit me like a gong. Right, like I started listening to Radiohead before I really became a fan of Radiohead. There mm. were like Radiohead songs I knew, and as time went on, I started to appreciate it more. Mm. But it wasn't like I turned on OK Computer and was like, "This is it. This is I'm ready took for me, it took right me now." Tries. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, however, I think Pearl Jam, which I was also not listening to when I first met you and Nick, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden I had a bunch of Pearl Jam thrown at me. Pearl Jam did kind of hit me like a gong. And I'm kind of doing the Sopranos Pearl wire. Pearl more immediate. And I'm doing the Sopranos wire thing in my head with mm-hmm. that right now. If Sopranos is Pearl Jam in this analogy where I put on season one and within five episodes I'm like, oh, holy shit, this is amazing. Yeah, yeah. And then from right on I'm like Legacy Project now. I'm thinking that Wire may sneak in and do that Radiohead thing where I'm going to watch it and think about it later on. Probably right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're probably right. And then I think that just makes the leftovers like... I, King of Limbs. King of, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I don't even know. Roast. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about the leftovers afterwards. Leftovers, uh, leftovers, one of those leftovers shows haunt you. Leftovers are living your soul for the rest of your life. It's one of those shows that yeah. There's a couple weird shows that I'll think of over time that I didn't expect to be affected by watching. Leftovers was one. Uh, BoJack Horseman, really weirdly, another one yeah. like shockingly affected yeah. by that show afterwards. Weird things that I wasn't totally expecting to take some sort of like weird philosophical uh, mm-hmm. thought process out of, right? But but here we are, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, so looking forward to the rest of the wire. Um, and then one last. Who's your favorite character so far? You're early, so mm, just what, curious. What's what's Giggs's, Griggs's first name? Greg's Kima Griggs. Kima Griggs. Yeah, 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 she's my favorite character so far. And then uh, your boy Leonard Freeman. Lester Freeman. Lester, Lester, yeah, mm-hmm. Lester, I, okay. That's the other thing I'm struggling with in the show is getting It'll everyone's come. names That'll down. Come. A lot of different mm-hmm. characters uh, mm-hmm. all sort of swimming around. Yeah, and then you get like street names and stuff like that. It's and there's cool. nobody named like Pauly Walnuts or Joey Balls like no. in The Sopranos. <laughs> I don't think there's a Joey Balls in The Sopranos. Uh, and this last one is just a food thing I saw. Kevin, I posted this one on Twitter as well this week. 
And I had a lot of thoughts about it. I don't know if you saw this. I was in the grocery store. Yeah. And I saw something advertised that is called cheese wraps. It's essentially a big slice of cheese in a big circle, and you replace your bread wrap with the cheese wrap. Do you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah. I have a lot of weird thoughts about this. Mm Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts about no bread, cheese as the wrapper? Uh, I mean, like, basically, just no. You know <laughs> what I mean? It seems a no. little... I, like, gimmicky, I get it. I'm sure you could make, like, a tasty little snack. Let me see this. No, 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 no. You're, you're going to hold it in your hand. It's going to get all melty. This is, like, garbage processed cheese. It's going to be, like, all smeary and greasy. You're going to bite into it. It's going to fall apart. No, this yeah, is for... This is, this is Crystal Farms. This is terrible. Cheddar blend... Uh, cheddar and Monterey Jack wrap cheese in place of bread. I saw it in the store. If you're buying, you know what? This is this is some this is like some keto madness. That's my first thought. Is right? what this, this is because I see them advertising how many grams of like fat and protein are in it. And Seven everything. grams protein, gluten free. That's not so, who's going to use this though, because number one, you could wrap that in lettuce. So don't tell me, oh, we need something to wrap it in. <laughs> you know, because we already got something to wrap it in. <laughs> nah. Uh, the cheese no. wrap. So, so there you go. Uh, I didn't care for it. It looked. I thought about it for about two seconds, and I was like, I can't tell if this is clever. And then after looking at it and giving it like a once, I was like, I don't think it's clever. No. I, I was like, is this? Is there a use for this somewhere? No. I was thinking maybe. What is it? What about like a quick quesadilla? Put the put cheese in it. No, 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 no. Is your cheese so encumbered? No, 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 no. no, no. Like... What I'm saying is, if you if you're like super lazy. And you got like two, uh, what do you call it? like tortillas, right? Yeah. You get the tortillas. Just take one of these cheese wraps, throw it in between the two tortillas. Bam! You made yourself a quesadilla in thirty seconds. That's also true with any other cheese that's already on the market. <laughs> any other cheese no, that's already out there, like this specialized process. No. Um, no. Mm-mm. So there you go. That's that's not for me. So there you go. The cheese wrap. It's a it's a no for us. Yeah. You can't say like, oh, well, you would find a use. I would because you find a use for cheese. Well, you know what I would, you know what I would do. Well, I would just roll it up and eat it like a big piece of cheese. I mean, because it's Most just cheese. Most surely is what it would happen. Yeah. I would say that if I buy cheese at the grocery store, if I'm mm. getting cold cuts, I would say at least a third of that cheese doesn't make it to sandwiches. Well, just, you, you need the one for you <laughs> to start when you make the sandwich. Yeah, and then one yeah, at the yeah. end, which is like the leftover piece. Might be like broken in half. Uh, broken so in half, yeah. Coverage, yeah, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there you go, the cheese wrap. I only really have two uh, news stories for you this week. Uh, so let's do them very quickly, I suppose, and then we'll get to this week's interview, which is quite long. Uh, first one is an education story. I do think this is kind of an interesting story. Uh, earlier this week, Colorado became the first state to do away with legacy admissions for colleges. Mm. Essentially, uh, admissions based on you having somebody who went to that college in mm. your family. Uh, this is seen as a move aimed mm-hmm. at making higher education access more equitable. Mm-hmm. Uh, legacy admissions have long been a target for school reform uh, in 2018. Uh, there was a survey saying that 42% of private institutions and 6% of public institutions say they consider legacy status and factors of admission. Mm-hmm. And I know that whether or not they admit it or not, it's always on like of course. every college thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is good stuff. I like to see it. But the other interesting part that's come out of this is this is something that's happened during the pandemic. A lot of colleges already started backing off from using the SATs and the ACTs uh, as college admission sources. Right. And now they're sort of talking about how maybe we'd stop using the SATs altogether as a college admissions mm. like acceptance program, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this, based on research as well, that's shown that these tests, 
which are long used to measure aptitude for college, are far more connected to family income and don't provide meaningful information about the student's ability to succeed yeah. in college. Yeah, yeah. So I do think this is really interesting. I know a lot of my students over the years, especially in the last few years, were always like, I don't know that this SAT is really concerning and there's a lot of pressure that's put on it. And I do notice when in my years of dealing with colleges that the the actual SAT numbers importance seems to have faded a lot. For sure. Even since when we were in even, high school. I think even when we were there, like I remember, you know, I graduated high school in 2003. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took the SATs. Drunk. Yeah. I was actually drunk <laughs> the night before. Um, and because it, like, it just wasn't that serious. I wasn't, you know, going to use them. They weren't even that important at that time. Like did well because I always did really well in standardized yeah. testing. And we reading comprehension words I could be really hungover for and do sure. all right. <laughs> And like so, but I went through, and it didn't really actually prove anything. And even then, Kyle, like the the guidance counselors or whoever yeah. were saying in school, like, well, you know, you got to take these, but like they're not really going to be looked at the same way other things. But when we grew up, all like TV shows, every sitcom, everything you see is like a whole episode, like oh, these SATs come, yeah. and if I don't do good on this one test, it's make or break. Isn't that? But yeah, they've been fading from relevance. It seems like for a long time. Isn't that why Jesse had her drug? prediction breakdown because yeah, she was probably. studying for the SATs yeah. and she was so she excited. She was just so scared. She was so scared. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Uh, yeah, I mean, also, not for nothing, the SAT itself is very different now. Like, they keep mm-hmm. changing it all the time. So the idea that it means... Yeah. It's like this standardized thing that never changes and gives you some no, like some concrete number. Mm-hmm. That's been wrong for a decade. Like, yeah. our SATs that we took didn't even really have a writing component the way that current SATs do. It was mm-hmm. math and English and that was it. Yeah. Right yeah. now there's a whole separate... Part yeah. of the test and the scoring system is different. But I'll tell you, so. as far as the first part, uh, doing away with legacy admissions, I love it. Yeah. Good for them. Mm-hmm. Capital F-U-C-K uh, legacy <laughs> admissions. Uh, yeah. No, here for that. Uh, yeah. It's, Good. Yeah. Like, I'm sure, I'm sure, I, I'm sure this folks are going to be upset, but I know I'm they sure. are. But, yeah. No, fuck them. Uh, and then a sad farewell from the education world mm. as well uh, to illustrator, author Eric Carl, who mm. passed away. Might not know the name. But I bet you know the images. Yeah, very, very, a uh, very hungry caterpillar. Uh, probably the most famous mm-hmm. piece of art I would say that I grew up like around. That was again first grade teacher. We had all these books. It was all like, the kids' books. Yeah, all the kids' books. Eric Carl, though, I'm not going to dig into everything. There's a really great uh, article on NPR that talks about his career, uh, going all the way back to his very first illustrated book in 1967, which was Brown Bear, Brown Bear. What do you see? Mm. It's another one that I was very, uh, very familiar yeah. with. Um, again, a lot of his books were meant for kindergartners, you know, mm-hmm. young, uh, young students. One of the things I thought was really interesting though, and this was from, uh, this is from someone from, uh, NPR talking about this. A lot of the things that he did was guide toddlers and young students toward unfamiliar words. Mm. So for example, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. In, in the Saturday portion of the hungry caterpillar story, mm-hmm. the caterpillar eats a piece of chocolate cake. One ice cream cone, one pickle, one slice of Swiss cheese, one slice of salami, one lollipop, one piece of cherry pie, one sausage, one cupcake, and one slice of watermelon. Words such as salami and Swiss cheese might be the first time you ever heard of those concepts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he always made a point to do things like that in his books. Really fascinating. Yeah. What I really appreciate about uh, appreciate about him and a lot of other authors like him, and certainly I'm biased because the time I grew up, but as somebody who has had a lifelong love of reading and of books, something I appreciated mm-hmm. about this guy, you know, with a lot of kids' books, I, you know, you do kind of go past them early if you're a reader. Yeah. You know what I mean? You get in, like, chapter books and different stuff, but 
what this guy and so many people did with the animation style put in their books and the way they yeah. presented is as a young kid who didn't know words, I couldn't understand the words on the page because the images were so singular and captivating. Yeah. It made me want to spend time with that book open looking at it anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge, huge part, I think, of writing you know, uh, kids' books for like very, very young yeah. kids is you have to make... I was reading a book with my niece this weekend. She was going through the different books and looking and pointing to stuff, and she doesn't know any words on the page. But because some of these books have really cool visuals or different things to interact with it makes yeah. her want to keep that book open and even if she's not reading the words on the page like you know Minnie went to you know Daisy's house sure. or whatever you're seeing the words and it's making oh, yeah. you want to have a book open and get used to that feeling so that's what I love about a lot of these old books well, Eric is the Carl, illustration well Eric Carl too you know there's a lot of guys in that sort of same line I think of like the Maurice Sendaks of the mm-hmm. world these For sure. sort of illustrators that produce art styles which become uh, inspiration for future artists, right? These like long-term Big time. Big time. Uh, artistic styles that transcend through kids' books even into adult authors. I know tons of folks who are authors now, and I bet you they all knew about Eric Carl mm-hmm. and all these uh, these great illustrators. Or from or people who are different artists or do all sorts mm-hmm. of different things. Uh, Carl is a really uh, seems like a wonderful guy, by the way. Everything I've read about him mm-hmm. uh, in talking about the very hungry caterpillar, he says that it serves as a literary ca- uh, cocoon for children getting ready for kindergarten. As little kids prepare to leave the warmth and safety uh, of home for school, they're meant to identify with the beautiful soaring butterflies. It is a book of hope, Carl said in his uh, in a commemoration video in 2019. He was then 89 years old. Children need hope, he said. Uh, you little insignificant caterpillar can grow up to be a beautiful butterfly and fly into the world with your talent. Will I ever be able to do that? Yes, you will. I think that is the appeal of the book, and I should know. I did the book after all. So there you go, him telling me the story. So Eric Carle, uh, if you're the kind of person who's interested in this, there is an Eric Carle Museum of Picture Art, a uh, picture book art in Amherst, Massachusetts that opened in 2002. Mm-hmm. So there is a Eric Carle Museum. You know, another one I was thinking about when I was a kid, my mom took me to the, uh, this is not the same exact thing, but the Norman Rockwell Museum, mm. which yeah, I forget yeah. where that is. Yeah, another big, like... Yeah, yeah. Norman Rockwell was big when I was another out. another big time thing. Mm-hmm. I think that was also big in like my mom had a lot of like Eric uh, a lot of like that artwork like mm-hmm. a lot of the yeah. Norman Rockwell art around the house. I remember my mother also being very influenced by that when yeah. I was young and always pointing out like yeah this is Norman Rockwell this is what mm-hmm. this is this is like who he was this is why this is like a thing yeah. Whatever. All right, so there we go, folks. Uh, good stuff. Let's get into this week's uh, quite intensive interview. Uh, with AJ Bates and Chris Perez of Handsome Bob, we had a great time talking about uh, great guys. Great guys, always a fun time. Uh, talking about music, talking about how they got together. Uh, talked a bit with AJ about baseball, which we'll get mm. to in just a little bit. Uh, and of course, we talked about their show on June 10th, at Handshake City for the Thursday Performers series. Come on down June 10th to see Handsome Bob. They are an excellent show, and uh, you can get to listen to them right now. Oh, man. Uh, welcome back to the show, folks. Episode 10. 
I gotta tell you guys, uh, I'm joined by uh, AJ Bates and Chris. Is it Perez or Perez? I always feel Perez. Per- Chris Perez of Handsome Bob. When I AJ, when I called you last night, you guys were uh, doing your thing. I could hear you guys uh, having a good time in the background. We were, so, we were celebrating. Yeah. <laughs> celebrating. So I appreciate you guys coming in this morning after uh, what seemed to be a nice Memorial Day weekend celebration. It was. It was. We had our first show uh, at Good Nature out in Hamilton. Oh, nice. And uh, that went that went great. We had a uh, great turnout. People we brought out there. There were a bunch of people who just happened to be out in that area, and they were digging it. It was uh, it was a great time. It really was. Was this the first show for you guys since the pandemic? The first live crowd you've been in, or have you guys already been out in front of people? Uh, we played without the full band, like a light, like sure, two, duo trio kind of thing. We played at Rise and Shine a couple times, but then the pandemic really hit. So yeah. We've just been kind of in the basement ducking COVID. That's kind of how, how it all started. Is yeah. uh, They kind of had uh, Kenzie, our rhythm guitar player, keys guy, and Chris kind of had uh, just a little duo thing going on. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be what a lot of bands that I've talked to over this time almost had to do, is like we're going to downsize the product a little bit for now to make it a little more accessible. That being said, I went to the I went out to Vera for the first time last week. It does seem like music is back. Yeah. Every oh, bar yeah. I went to, like yep. live music was back in full force. Praise and God. I, I'm certainly happy to see it. Uh, and again, so for folks who don't know you guys, I guess let's start off with the questions where I know the answers to these already, but people who might not listen to this show. Uh, we are joined by two of the members of Handsome. Uh, Bob, can you guys tell me uh, what you guys do in the band and what the band sort of sounds like, vibes, what you guys play, so people who don't know can get a vibe of what you guys are all about? Uh, I am the bass player, AJ Bates. Um I uh, like I said, I just joined in with the with this duo over COVID. I'm gonna let Chris pretty much take uh, awesome. the rest of that. Question. Oh yeah, sure, Chris, please. Uh, so my name is Chris. I'm the singer. Um, play guitar. Um, we just started this thing. I'm also I'm in another rock band out here called Beside the Sun mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. Josh Crossman, Nate Keita. They they were in another band out here called Autumn Fire for a while. There. I remember that name. That sounds them. familiar. Yeah. So yeah, we just started. We me and my buddy Kenzie just started playing music together and. Met AJ through another, our drummer Ryan Scarlino, oh, and man. yeah, Scarlino's. Uh, I know his name is pretty deep in Utica. Uh, <laughs> the Scar- my my connection is that his dad was either my football coach, <laughs> or cross coach, or something along the way. Like, Let's go Hawaii. His dad was a, exactly the Hawaii Warriors, the Rainbow Warriors. Yes, sir. <laughs> his dad was a teacher at Proctor. For sure, I think yeah. he still subs there, but yeah. So. I see him once in a while. Yeah, when and, I'm floating around the teaching. Uh, ecosystem. <laughs> oh, you, you do that too? Oh yeah, you're a TA. I work in education. I, I've, I worked in Utica for many years. I'm not working in Utica currently, but I'm still, I still know lots of folks. Teaching's like a weird circle. Once you know some people in teaching, you know them forever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was doing that in Rome for a while when I first moved here. Well, Chris, let's start with you because this is, uh, you know, AJ, you have a little more of a, a, a local backstory, but uh, Chris, let's start with you. This is your first time on the show. So people get to know a little bit about you. Where are you initially born? Where are you from in the uh, beginning? Well, I was born in the Bronx, but I was raised really? in Florida mm-hmm. most of my life. Do you, um, so you think of, when you think of like your hometown, you still think of Florida, not the Bronx. Yeah, South Florida. For South sure. Florida. Yeah. That's why you have such a great tan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, but I haven't been there in years. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, and were you uh, was just, were you only child or just by yourself? You have family down no, there? No, I have an older brother and, and uh, three sisters. Oh, so you're not? You're, yes. Are you a middle child? I am the middle child. Do you have yeah. classic middle child syndrome where you're like, I need to start a band to get attention? Is oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's it. <laughs> well, were you? Uh, how long were you down in Florida before you made your way uh, up to New York? Uh, since I, since I was eight, and now I am thirty-eight. So, okay. And I've been in New York for four years. 
so, so you most s- of my adult life. So most of your adult life, you're down in Florida. Uh, um, and I started playing music there when awesome. I was like 19. So by the time I moved here, I had already kind of established something down there. And What band did you yeah. have going on down there? I had an original band called Beauty to the Moon and a cover band called The Living Daylights. Nice. Check out yeah. Beauty to the Moon. Beauty to the Moon. Yeah, right. that Beauty to the Moon. Really, like you can, oh, how old were you when that was Jeez, 28, 29. Yeah. Now, let me ask you, this is, I'm, I'm a, I grew up with music because I always say that in fifth grade, I started playing the saxophone, which was uh, the first sort of shoe in the door for like finding music. Did you have uh, any sort of inciting moment where you were like, oh, you know what, I'm, I like doing this particular artistic form? Absolutely. Same thing as you. In fifth grade, I started playing clarinet. Clarinet, yeah. In middle school. <laughs> and by, and I, by sixth grade, I was first chair with all of all the middle school so I was really good at it awesome. and my my mom's a singer my brother's a singer both my sisters sing so it's kind of like in my like in my blood now I have a lot of friends growing up playing in punk bands and in like indie rock bands and weird stuff in New York uh, where a lot of the guys I know did not have a background in let's call it I don't want to call it orchestra orchestral music but like mm-hmm. big band style like symphonic band style music mm-hmm. So do you feel like any of that, what part of that do you still carry over? Do you count all the time? I feel like I tap my foot all the time because they forced me to when I was like yeah. in sixth grade. And you back then you're like, what? what? This is so annoying. But now <laughs> it's like second nature to me and it helps so much. Yeah. It's one of those weird so. things. I wonder just, I always wonder how much of my like ability to even understand popular music and to be open to different types of music comes from being forced to understand the real rudimentary yeah. basics that I thought were not important when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're right, and it, it comes back to me all the time. Like so. When did you? So I always laugh. I made the transition. It was saxophone to acoustic guitar to electric guitar to bass. What was your transition from like symphonic instrument to like rock band instrument? So I went from clarinet, and but then that was like the '90s. So it was all hip hop for me. I only listened oh, to rap music because yep. the big bands yes. where I was from were like fucking Creed and like. <laughs> shit that I just couldn't understand and I, I missed the whole grunge like Pearl Jam I missed it all because I was I was you know I was into hip-hop so that's what I liked and then a year in 2000 I met this kid in college Ryan he was my first drummer and he got me into Deftones and I was Deftones. fucking that was it I started I went down the rabbit hole and then I was all metal for a really long time and mm. that just kind of rounded my whole musical palette up so I had a bit of a a, a fraught relationship with like Especially in my early, like, teens, early 20s, or late teens, early 20s, when I was trying to figure out the music thing, where I was going to college, but I wasn't really committed to it at the time because I wanted to do music. Was, like, were you at a point where you were like, I'm only doing music? What did you want oh, to do? Oh, yeah. I've been only doing music since I was right out of high school. So you knew right off the bat, like, this oh, is yeah. it. This is all I want to do. That's it. Yeah. yeah. That's all I've been doing. Yeah. I love it, man. <laughs> I love it, man. It's great. It's great. I miss it sometimes because I've I've lost my chops. Is the big is my biggest issue over the years. I'm just like I don't have the the chops I once had when I was younger because I don't play regularly. Um, but I still like even though it's been like 20 years, I still like. Oh, I'm a musician. I do a podcast and I do I work in schools and stuff. But in my heart, deep in my heart, I'll always be a musician. I think you're always a musician. Yeah, you it's just like, gotta pull even back if you out. Don't play. It's just like being addicted to drugs. You're always an addict. You can't get away from it. It yeah. doesn't matter how long you haven't drank or smoked, you're always an addict. That's what they tell you, right? I always think like Godfather 3, right? You can it's get like, right back on the horse in one night. It's like, no, it's like Godfather 3. It's just like every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in, right? Like every time I'm like, oh, I don't have it anymore. They're like, hey, Chris is coming into town. Do you guys want to go to jam? I'm like, I do. I do want to go to jam. Jumping in the shower. Let's go right now. Uh, AJ, let's, uh, let's, let's find out your background a little bit before we move to when you guys sort of... Uh, 
came together. AJ, where are you from, and where were you raised? Utica, New York. Utica, New York. Born and raised. And where did you? Uh, where did you? Where was your education? Where did you grow up in that sort of space? So I'm from, technically West Utica, West even Utica. though the Westies say that I'm not from West Utica. <laughs> And the South Uticans say I'm not from West Utica, and I'm not in Corn Hill because I'm like right on the border. <laughs> awesome. But um, yeah, Utica born and raised. I ended up going to uh, Watson Williams yep. because it technically was the closest yep. uh, to me, and I'm mm-hmm. so grateful for that uh, for that opportunity because Watson was the I don't know if you remember each Utica school district kind of had like a theme. Yep. Um, what was that called? Oh. God, I don't remember the name. I know what you're talking I can't about. Remember exactly. I went to Hughes in South Utica. And you so guys like, were yeah. kind of like also a performing arts kind of We had place, a lot, But yeah. Watson Williams was the performing arts yeah. school. Like Jones was technology. Yeah. You know, so on and so like forth. A, Jones was the Cadillac. Yeah, like you produced the... They, you they, 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 produced, they produced the Elon Musks. Yeah. And uh, Watson Williams and Hughes and all that produced the, uh, you know, the yeah. Cobains and all of us. <laughs> but yeah, went to Watson Williams. Um, like I... I, I Got into uh, orchestra, mm-hmm. and I played upright bass because nice. my brother did before me, mm-hmm. and my uncle did before him. So bass kind of just fell into with me. And uh, from Watson Williams, I went to Donovan, and Donovan to Proctor, mm-hmm. and Proctor to MVCC. Played baseball throughout the entire time, which is what most That's people right. know me for, yeah. is from playing baseball. Um, music has just kind of always been in my background, so you know, I'd be playing in college, uh, have a game, and then I'd get out, go home, drink some beers, play some music, slap the bass a little bit, and it was really nothing more than that. But, uh, yeah. Proctor alum here, here. Cheers, I was uh, going to say. I, yeah, I, so I've always, I talked to a lot of my kids when I was working in Proctor, specifically the high school kids, and I always told them, like, what a, what a gift Proctor is in terms of like preparing you for larger cities outside of Utica and yep. what like larger aspects of the real world look like. Exactly. I tell this analogy all the time and I'm sure the podcast listeners have heard it a million times. I worked in this program that dealt with primarily low income kids from like really struggling backgrounds, but highly diverse kids. Like yep. from all like Burmese, uh, Asian, white, black, just various, uh, you know, a lot of Bosnian kids, a lot yep. of the, yep. a lot of the framework of what makes up Utica. Yep. And what I always found super fascinating just as an observer in high school was the things that these kids cared about had nothing to do with anything that we would ever think about with like all these cultures. It was literally just teenager stuff. Yeah. Like yep. no matter what, yep. what background they were in, what they were all about, it was they're always all just like same. Netflix and the internet and like playing Uno. And I yep. was like, see, this is like the this is like what I want to see in the world. It was so uplifting. It's in a the weird best part way. about Utica. And it drives me nuts that Proctor gets such like a bad rep- a bad yeah. reputation. Yep. And I, I always said to the kids, I used to when I was in high school, I used to lean into the bad reputation. You walk into a party and they'd be like, "You guys gonna rob us?" And I was like, "We." Yep. Now yeah. I'm gonna. Yeah, <laughs> right? I didn't yep. plan yep. on exactly. it, but now that you bring it up, you right? didn't want us to bring the ruckus, but now we're here, so yeah, we're gonna since bring you're the just ruckus. calling me out on it. Yeah. No, I, I loved I loved my time at Proctor, and I, I do think 100%. it was. I didn't think I appreciated it at the time. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, like I said, that, so that's where I was going with Watson Williams. Is I'm really grateful for that. Is because yeah. I pretty much was the minority. Yeah. Like I, oh for sure, there was probably two white kids, and everybody else was you know either foreign or black or uh, you know Hispanic, yeah. some, somewhere along those lines. And just like having that experience was it was amazing. You know, like uh, I, I still have friends to this day that are Vietnamese. Puerto Rican, Mexican, uh, Bosnian, you, you name it, you know, I mean, how many languages are spoke in Utica? I think like 
Over, so many, dude. yeah, exactly. I used to spend it's some unbelievable. Time, I used to just spend some time with the job down at the the center downtown, and you just the the, the work they do down there to help people and like make it accessible Amazing. is really really stunning. Uh, yeah, man, I, I always really appreciated it, and I'm glad that like it made me I would go to New York City, and it was like, oh yeah, it's just like it's normal, Easy. nothing. My yeah. buddies from Whitesboro would come to visit, they'd be like, oh my god, what is this? Yes, I'm, yeah. like, <laughs> yep. I'm not trying to crap on Whitesboro. Sorry, guys. Well, that's been a, a huge thing for me transitioning from South Florida to I moved to Rome. Oh yeah, I'm mm. like, where, yeah. no offense to Rome, but where the fuck am I? <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't until I was around Utica and Syracuse and places like that. I saw zero diversity and. Just, it was weird for me. Utica is kind of, yeah, it is really like a melting pot within. I don't think it's a surprise that this Brindisi-Tinney District 22 election was the very, well, one of the very last elections to get called nationally. I think it speaks to how oddly purple this district. Like, this is one of the most purple districts I've ever seen in the country. Like, it really is true. Like, Utica and certain big cities trend super blue, and then right outside of that, it's super red, and it's almost even. It's It's crazy. It's a really strange microcosm for for the rest of the world. (laughs) I was out in Colorado, and Colorado was actually pretty pretty much like that, Yeah, Colorado's like that. Because you're kind of split. You know, you got the south, and you got the, uh, and you got, you know, Denver. I mean, the big cities, obviously, were... Oh very yeah. blue. It turns into a blue blue state. That but. feels like a national thing too as well. Just like I wonder how yeah, I wonder right. how many cities like Utica are like are around yeah, in different states yeah. that I don't give a credit for. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that uh the immigration thing is probably one of the oh big things that helps us. Oh, it's true. I mean, it really is true. Like yeah. that that center, the refugee center downtown really just does amazing work. Even going back to when we were in high school, like I remember that article coming out about like the number one Bosnian relocation city yes. in the world. Yep. Right? It was a big it was a big article. I was yep. like, wow, like, very proud. Yeah, yeah. Sure, a lot of people were not, but you yeah. know, and that's that's the dichotomy that exists. Yeah. And they've done a great job in the city. Amazing job. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's get to. Uh, I want to get back to music for a second here because you said you were playing a lot of baseball. And I do remember you playing baseball, and one of the things I always thought was interesting growing up is when I was playing in punk bands. None of the other punk bands I played with had any interest in sports whatsoever. If we were walking, loading into a show on Sunday, and I just mouthed out loud. Does anyone know the score of the Bills game? I would get looks like I was a jerk. <laughs> what was uh did you find there was a weird disconnect between the sports world and the music world for you? Uh I was not I, to be honest, this is the first time I've truly been in the music mm-hmm. world. Most of it has just been for me, uh, you know, just sitting in my house jamming around and yeah. uh, and uh nothing beyond that. Um I met these guys and that's pretty much when the you know, the full live music thing truly started happening for me. Chris it's all very new for me. Chris, how has he uh jumped in head first oh into it? Uh not only has he jumped in head first, he's been <laughs> such a big part of how why we're doing this because he's added a a shitload of just he's just been he's been our guy. You've been, you really like for anything. He's been he's added so much to the band and he fit right in. Like it wasn't like we got some guy off the street that couldn't play bass at all. He was all, he, right when we started. He was playing bass and he was adding his own parts. And it wasn't. We didn't have to go to school with him. He was already there. Yeah. So it's been awesome. Uh, as a singer songwriter myself, singer guitar player who lives with a bass player, I know it's tough to give them compliments out in the public. <laughs> Generally, I know how that goes. But, uh, you know, it's funny though because I I've played so many different things over the years, and I did the thing where I would play guitar and sing for years here. And then when I went to New York and I was playing down there, I was like, I don't want to do any. I'm not singing. I'm not playing guitar. I forced myself to like do other stuff. And I learned drums and synth and a bunch of other things down oh, there cool. just just to like do something different. Yep. And I think to this day, 
I come back to the bass being the most interesting instrument to play in the band. It's and I think because it lives in that weird space between the rhythm and the melody. Yeah. Right? It's the only yeah. instrument that no, sort of like, they so. live on the drum beat, yep. but it does have the melodic vibe that you can, take, yeah, you can drum... take it you can take it to another level. Yeah, yeah. It and without it, it just sounds like empty. Yeah. It's yeah. totally empty and it it's he's you've really Angel, you've like really added Cheers, so man. Much to it. <laughs> Thank Cheers, you. Cheers, man. And he's friends with Corey Peters, who is now our guitar player. Oh it's yeah, a, it's a pretty crazy story about how we meet it, uh, how we meet it, how we met and uh, became who we are. Well, first off, before we, I'm gonna, I'll let you guys tell that story, and I will go grab us some more drinks from the the fridge. But while we do that, can you guys talk a little bit about this show, June 10th at Handshake City? What people can sort of expect? What sort of like? Because uh, I've seen you guys before. But what can you tell people about that show and where they can get a hold of you if they want to learn more about you guys? Definitely. So, um, Handshake City, we're going to be down there uh, doing their little Thursday um, thing that they've got going on to kind of kind of take care of the uh, of Saranac, Saranac Brewery shows being down. And we're super excited to play down there. If you haven't been down to Handshake City, you got to get down there. But we're going to be down there. Thursday, uh, I'm sorry, Thursday, June 10th, which is next Thursday, from, I believe, 6 to 8. Yeah. And um, we're going to be doing a, uh, we're probably, I I, I actually want to know if we are going to be, do you want us to turn it up? Do you guys want to? Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. And that's what I was thinking. I figured we might as well just go right at it and uh, and play what we want to play. We're looking forward. It's so funny you say that because I had another performer Send me a text message yesterday. Like, can I say the word ass on stage? I'm like, yeah, I don't think anyone's gonna be offended. We so hit that. Like, we hit that problem. We got that. Guys. We're gonna definitely say that a couple times. Handshake <laughs> City is awesome. Uh, Thanks, man. Our, I, it's been such a weird labor of love over the last few years, and and I I don't like taking credit for it because although I've it's a community I'm effort. Happy, I'm happy to help uh, out there. Yeah, that vision is the vision of the entire thing was Justin's Justin, alone. Yeah. in terms oh, yeah. of oh, the yeah. concept. Not to say that Katie didn't put in but jo- yeah, 1,000% no. of the work yeah. in terms of making it happen. No, but the vision, the, the vision was, I tell a story a million times. I went upstairs one day and he had Jenga board pieces and like Tetris blocks on the table. And I was like, did you go, are you going insane? Are you building <laughs> like things in the table? He's like, no, it's this idea I have. And to see. That's awesome. And even when I saw you guys play there, was it, I'm in trouble. You guys were inside last time. Yep, Halloween. I, even as a guy who sees that stage all the time and knows what it looks like in there, whenever I see bands playing on there, I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. This We're is a excited. cool venue. I was, I was down there for the Napoleon Dynamite uh, oh, yeah, showing, yeah. and I went down there just kind of like look around, and I was like, man, this is almost like I'm playing in like downtown Chicago or downtown New York. Like you're like that down ter- down there, like oh, yeah. from the stage. If you look back into the city, you have a skyscape. Yeah. You know, it's pretty crazy to think in Utica <laughs> that you have that skyscape. But I was almost like I've lived here my entire life, and I've never like visualized that. You know, I obviously, you know, I come in from uh, Floyd every day down twelve yeah. north, and. Uh, you know, it, you see the skyscape, and it, it's cool to see it changing right now with the hospital and a couple of Cree and all that stuff. But um, yeah, like I, I, it's it's got. I, I really Thanks, think Utica man. needs to get behind Handshake City it, and keep yeah. it as something that it that it's a great community project that is going to keep building and keep turning into something. I mean, I was there for you know digging holes and throwing dirt and. We got the picnic tables down there. See, you like, folks, you folks are, I didn't even have to make him say it. I didn't, like, hold him hostage. He <laughs> no. said it on his own militia. It's, like, it's a that, great community project that really the whole city should be thanks, behind. Thank I you. think it's the coolest venue to play at around thank here. You. No offense to any other venues, but that place is awesome. And I think that, like, national acts should be rolling through there. And like, it should be a real, 100%. like, 
a contender with what else do we have out here? We don't have for, anything for like places that. to play. Well, you know, it's so funny you say that because I had a question out here, which was, "What are your favorite venues at the moment?" But you just answered mm. that without me having to <laughs> answer. <laughs> but, but it is something that I thought about. You know, I, I we used to do this back in the day during the whole you know when, when there were a lot of bars and we had to do the cover band scene. We were an original band, and we didn't like doing the cover songs. But if you were playing in Utica in the early two thousands. McGill's wasn't going to hire you for a two and a half hour set unless you could do a cover song set. So we got sort of caught up in that that sort of game. But there was a lot of venues to choose from back then. You had Captain Trips. You had Trips. You had uh, Electric Company when it was still Z's open. Place. Z's, yeah. yeah, Z's Place. Yep. Um, lots Electric of places company. were really available. You know, even before the tram, uh, Robin, who run the tram, had multiple venues where you could put on shows. A lot of that stuff dried up mm-hmm. uh, in like the early early two thousands. Unfortunately, would say. yeah. yeah. Uh, but is there any places you guys have been playing? You said you just played a Good Nature yesterday. Good Nature. Have you seen? Yeah, what are some awesome. of the places you guys are looking forward to playing that uh, we haven't mentioned besides Handshake already? Well, Good Nature is great. They have that outdoor yeah. uh, that outdoor stage. However, we didn't get to play on the outdoor stage because it was raining. It was yeah. a shitty day, but it was great. We had a great turnout. But uh, we play Rise and Shine, which is awesome. We're playing at um, Mail Creek. Mail Creek on Thursday, Creek July first. July 1st. So that's, that's actually cool. going to be a 90s night. Yeah. We're going to kind of switch our setup a little bit and focus on nice. 90s stuff. Nice. That's going to be a pretty cool vibes. Set. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. You guys, uh, I'm trying to think of like what uh, we talked about, like doing a thing one night for Halloween. And this is like an idea I've tried to pitch to Justin, where you get bands to dress up as another band, like a set. Like, so for Halloween, yeah. like, you'd have, like, I don't know, the Coercion were still a band. Like, Coercion's gonna be Oasis all night. We're gonna play, like, a seven-song Oasis. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. And dress like Oasis and yep. be jerks. Like, for seven. <laughs> <laughs> like, there you go, Ryan yeah. Scarlino. Hopefully you, you listen to that part. Oh, he's is, is, oh, is a big Oasis guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, listen, Oasis still bangs. I, much like Bad Religion, another band I really like, I'm always impressed that you can make a multiple album career out of the same seven chords. Like, yeah, good for you guys. Uh, crazy. Like, right? just hey, wild. Cut it down to three chords and it's Nickelback. I know. <laughs> so. you were, that's the second band I was thinking. You mentioned Creed and Nickelback. Yeah. There was definitely a period, I was trying to explain this to somebody. Like, I was like, you know, Creed, easy punching bag, man. People hate Creed. A lot of good reason. When that first, when my own prison came out, I did, I had that on single. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna pretend yeah, that I didn't. Right, right. Mark Tremonti's a monster guitar player. He is, and his band with uh, Miles Kennedy, is fucking awesome. Is that Alderbridge? I think yeah, so. I don't like their music, but they're musically, like their musicians are just next level. So. I want to say this is a weird wrestling reference. I want to say they have the theme, the theme song for the wrestler Edge is oh, really? by uh, Alderbridge and no Mark Tremonti. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Uh, I know a lot about professional Wait, wrestling. WWF has uh, almost what's that band? Almost Never. Their their, their theme music is by a rock band. Um, I can't remember. It's funny, I started, there's this other wrestling company, and last night I was up real late watching a wrestling pay-per-view from AEW, the WWE competition, and the guy who owns AEW is this, like, billionaire, Tony Khan, he owns the Jacksonville Jaguars and uh, yep. Fulham Football Club, mm-hmm. and his son owns AEW, and what they do that I think is interesting is they buy licensed music for the wrestlers to come out with, for certain wrestlers, right? Whereas WWE, you know, writes a song for your, they write, like, Hulk Hogan, they wrote a theme song for him, right? So one of the wrestlers, their theme song is Where Is My Mind by the Pixies. Yeah. And it just throws me off every time I want the guy comes out and he's just like standing in the ring. I'm like, they're playing a Pixies song and everyone's like losing their that mind. That is a weird, right? Yeah, that's a weird one to walk into. You just reminded me about 2005, 2006, I was playing in this punk rock band called Westview and we got mm-hmm. tapped to play, uh, who's the snake guy? 
Jake the Snake. Jake the Snake. Yes. At the tail end of his career, was was doing a wrestling match in like the middle of the like, Coral Spring, like no, like a nowhere kind of place, and we had to play his his walk-in music. Oh, and they just played. They said, "Play your heaviest song." So we did it, and he was there. And it's like, holy shit, that's Jake the Snake. That's he was awesome. on the TV show I watched last night. Rest in peace. No shit. No, he was on the show. He was, he was on the TV show I watched last night. Really? He's the manager of this guy. He came out with. A bag, ostensibly with the snake in the bag. No but then the bad guy the, before the oh well it wasn't because before the bad guy wrestler grabbed the bag and started shaking it and he <laughs> threw it down the ramp and all the crowd was like oh he threw the snake and it's like it's very clearly not a snake guys. This was last night. Yeah, it's pretty oh, awesome. Wait, he's not dead. No, he's still alive. He's alive? So he looked dead. Much like all... <laughs> yeah, he well, no, he dead. looks dead now. I mean, oh much like... God. He's one of those people where it's like, I can't believe this guy's not dead. Everything mm. I know about this dude and like his life and every like biography I've read about him, I'm like, my God. This man did all the drugs. He did all your drugs and all everybody else's <laughs> drugs combined, right? And he'll probably live to be 120. He just he'll somehow... That's, that's his, like uh, Keith, Keith Richards. Richards. Like yeah. a little Keith Richards. Yeah. Yeah. Like that meme, we got to think what kind of world we're leaving behind for Keith Richards. Because. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so funny, too, because like you're, you're saying Florida's like the epicenter of professional wrestling right now. Like all Both major wrestling companies are almost exclusively doing their shows out of Florida right now. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, uh, AEW runs it out of Jacksonville. Uh, I want to say WWE runs it out of the, their performance center or whatever, which is in Tampa, I think, at the moment. So there's like it's the it's the hotbed of professional wrestling. Also, Hulk Hogan played bass in uh, in a band in Florida. What? What? Oh, dude, dude, I, I have know done this. Who is this band? I don't know. I think they were just some bar band. Like, he, was gotcha. like, he was like the guy at the bar. They're like, oh, he no, the big giant guy. He can play bass. I would be at every one of those shows. Oh, dude, I would have loved to see the Hulkster play. It would have been quite a, quite a show. Uh, we've gone a little off off topic. That's okay. Let's get back to what we were saying. How did you guys sort of come together as a band? And I love the name uh, Handsome Bob. Where did that sort of pop up? Whose idea was that? That was mine. It's from this movie by Guy Ritchie called Rock and Roller. Mm-hmm. You ever, yep. You've seen it. So Absolutely. it's yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom, Tom Hardy Tom, Tom and Gerard Butler yep. are in a car. They're like these super machismo gangster guys and Tom Hardy his nickname in the in the uh, gang is Handsome Bob <laughs> so Tom Hardy's about to go to jail the next day and Gerard Butler's like don't worry Bob we've got all these hookers you got all these blow your last night is gonna be the best night and Handsome Bob's like I, I don't want any of that <laughs> and Gerard Butler's like well what do you want He's like, well, I want you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he like slams on the brakes and he gets like, what? You're handsome Bob the Lady Killer. What are you talking about? And so he calms down and he gets back in the car and Gerard Butler's like, well, you know, what is it you wanted me to do? And then it cuts. <laughs> and then the, the screen cuts. So like it insinuates that they actually hook up. And yeah. that's great. So that's where we got handsome Bob from. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and did you guys were you guys just like the meeting of a couple different like bands? Did you guys see some other people somewhere? Did you audition people? How did that sort of all come so, together? So let's see. So you and how did you and Kenzie meet? So I played in Beside the Sun, and I met, I was a bartender nice. in Verona for a long time, and mm-hmm. I met Kenzie, uh, the other guitar player. He also plays keys, and he does um, a lot of like live back vocals. And yeah, he the, so. I, he plays all the cues and stuff. What's oh, the yeah. name? Yeah. We don't hit it. Yeah. The machine, talk, the yeah, machine yeah, yeah. with the I buttons. Just, 
He presses the buttons. <laughs> we, we, we queue up a lot of stuff yeah. like in between our shows, you know, like uh, I, I in between find that songs. Really, uh, he does live sampling. Live yeah. sampling. Yes, I, I exactly. find that to be very uh, aesthetically pleasing, by the way. I was gonna, it's I, great. I'm glad it you brought out that up. Phenomenal with us yesterday. It, I, very I was, cool aesthetic. I was a musical theater guy, so I appreciate growing up and like you know the aesthetic of the show itself being a little bit of production a little bit of production yeah. to yeah. it yeah, right? that's yeah. what we're yeah. all about like yeah. if we're gonna play fucking covers like we want it to be a show we want you to have fun yeah and that's yep. what we like people come up and sing with us we like switching instruments if we can if there's somebody in the audience that wants to do that yeah if you want to come on yeah i'm always i'm always oh, around you know yeah. hey so hey look when you handshake let's hey, let's do this i <laughs> Come and jam with us so, someday. We'll get it done. So I'm so I met Kenzie. Uh, he he was would come to my bar all the time, and we um, started chatting. And we both I showed him this band that I really love called Circus Survive. Yep. And he got super into them. Mm-hmm. And me and him went to Philly and saw uh, saw Circus Survive live. And he crowd surfed for the first time in his life. <laughs> and it was just like really good bonding moment. He's such a good dude too. So like we became friends. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, dude, let's just play some music. We started Bob in uh, New Hartford. We were jamming every day, and then. How the hell? So then, Ryan, Ryan was living with you, I think. Ryan was living with me and and uh, Mike Santoro. I don't know if you know him. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I'm not joking. I, I'm not joking. My very very first band. I was 14 years old. <laughs> it was me, Bill Brokell, Josiah Dewey, and Mike Santoro. That was wow. oh, no we, way. We were in a band. band. It was called Jinxed. I believe was the name that That's we ended awesome. up with. Uh, oh, I love Mike Santoro. Duh, great dude, great and dude. He's in my Mike. he's yeah. in my my rock band. Yeah, yeah. Inside the Sun. With, yeah. And that so I met Ryan through Mike, and we all lived together. And <laughs> they kind of like they were just jam, they would just jam all the they were like jamming yeah. in their basement. Uh, you know him it was you Ryan Kenzie mm-hmm. Kenzie was actually playing bass mm-hmm. at the time I believe. Yeah. And. Yeah. Um, I, I would just run into, you know, I knew Ryan through uh, Utica Frisbee Club and a couple things like that. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, local local Utica things. And he had my number and knew I played bass. And he just kept hitting me up. And he was just like, dude, we need the low end. Can you just come by and, <laughs> and play some bass with us? And at that point, uh, I haven't played bass probably since uh, college, which was mm. almost 10 years ago. And I have a uh, $1,200, probably worth more now, Ernie Ball Music Man, that I would barely oh, pick up. Yeah. You know, barely pick up. I'll have to show you guys after this is over. I'll have to take you through the music room. We have a disturbing amount of instruments just oh, sort we gotta of check lingering that around yeah, this house. Check like, you just saw on the, on the periphery of this house, there's all sorts of... You There's like three bases in the doorway when you guys walked in. It's funny that you mentioned that, because when we started the band, Kenzie's family also was a musical family, and we got this grab bag of all kinds of instruments. <laughs> you remember that Line 6 pod, the red one? Yo, that for sure. Like, we got for that. Sure. Oh, yeah. We got, yeah. The, yep. dude, we got so much stuff, so everybody started donating their old equipment. We, it yeah, was we awesome. got, you gotta see this basement. You guys will appreciate this. My nephew picked up the guitar he's playing guitar and he's out in joliet illinois and he does he goes to i, I shit you not he goes to a legitimate school of rock like at the oh, end of yeah. the movie he school of I, rock. Yeah. I taught school of rock for years before i moved here it's amazing yeah. I, I think it's a fantastic idea yeah. i love it and he 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 did this thing yesterday where i called my sister and they're in the car him and my sister and my brother-in-law and they're going to the school of rock to drop him off and i was like oh i'll let you guys do your thing go ahead and then <laughs> he he goes, wait, I got a question for you. And I was like, okay. He's like, so I'm playing distortion on my guitar, and it's making a weird sound. What do you think that is? So I, I'm like, oh, God, how do I answer this question? So I start throwing stuff at him 
that he has no respect. I, I I found out how little he knew compared to what I thought he knew. I was like, I was like, you playing out of the pickup or the humbucker? He's like, I don't know what those things are. I'm like, okay, I'm right. Are you playing out of a distortion pedal? Or is it coming out of the amp? He's like, it all comes out of the amp. Like, oh. <laughs> well, right. let me let me just uh, get in his defense. I know none of that either. And yes. I played guitar for three hours yesterday. <laughs> um, but also, the School of Rock is so awesome. I taught there at yeah. Cor- in Coral Springs, Florida for years. And that's what got me into teaching when I moved to New York. And I was a sub in Rome. Oh, yeah. For a while. And teaching music is one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. I'll, I'll do it for free. If you pay me, and, uh, <laughs> just hit me up. If I could go back and do it again, I I was bad at music theory. I thought about it in college. I was like, all right, I'm, maybe I'll oh, take yeah. like this music thing that I'm doing and like maybe I'll actually learn about it. So I took music theory and I was like, oh, this is terrible. I oh, hate this. I got like a C minus. I was yeah. like, this is rough. But that's the problem. These kids, they the parents make them take lessons, right? And they get these teachers that try to teach them, you know, how to read music, scales, and stuff like that. Well, we're, what School of Rock was, it's like the kids. There would be thirty kids. And, you know, they're doing private lessons and they could be bands. So yeah. you, one of them be with, 10 of them would be in Aerosmith, 10 of them would be at Pearl Jam, 10 yeah. of them would be with them. And they learn 10 or 12 songs by that band and then they go play gigs. Yeah. So it's like they come in learning a specific song and they can see their progress. Like, oh my God, I can play that song now. They didn't have to worry about, you know, music theory or anything. Mm-hmm. They're playing the song. And that's where I think we lose a lot of kids that, that want to do, that could be good at music, but... Don't. Well, I always laugh because I used to think when I first started playing guitar, I went to a guitar teacher around mm-hmm. here. I won't say his name because he's a good guy. I actually know him, but you know, this is not the greatest story about him. Great mm-hmm. guy though. What happened essentially was I started off doing scales and stuff, and after about six weeks, it devolved into like I'm gonna come in with like four songs I want to learn, and I just want to know those songs. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to teach me the notes or riffs or scales anymore. I'm just like, I'm just learning. You're essentially like teaching me cover songs. Yeah. And I was like, well, this is sort of, why am I paying for this? Yeah. <laughs> right? Right. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. he's a nice guy. Don't get me wrong. But like, I don't, Did this is not thing. what I went there to and go do. Now you got and, Martin Music on YouTube that'll do that for free. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Well, I wonder too how much like YouTube affected like oh. so now you can go to YouTube and almost yeah. learn any song in a yeah, way that YouTube I YouTube helped yeah. me oh, yeah. like I learned the guitar like oh, yeah. YouTube did I didn't have to pay for it thank god dude Kevin Kevin will tell you how many times like if he's going through bass stuff for his band yep. like the first oh, yeah. thing he'll do is run through a couple like YouTube videos to yeah, see videos. where the oh, general yeah. stuff is yeah. yeah without a doubt um so let me ask you guys you know I- I've seen you guys play I like your vibes I always used to say when me and the boys played in the band, in our heads, we all had a band that we thought this band was, but in reality, it was some band right in the middle, Mm. right? Like, what what influences do you feel like carry on throughout everyone in the band that you guys feel like comes through in your music? Oh, I have to say, that's a pretty hard question. Um, Like, I love hip-hop. I love metal. So I think it's like, I don't know, it's a mix between... Amy Winehouse and Aerosmith and the Deftones. We really <laughs> for me. It's a, for me. It's amazing. And in sync a little. Bit. All of us are almost the same. Like we almost love playing everything. You know, like he's got his hip hop vibe, and he's definitely like if you watch him live, that that metal background definitely comes out. Me, I'm uh, you know like. I'd say I always thought that I was just like a terrible flea almost. <laughs> like I have the energy and I, and, and, and I play an Ernie Ball music, man, that sounds yeah, like yeah, yeah. but it's just not uh, 100% flea. But um, gets the job done. Can I jump back to the hip-hop thing for a second? Yeah, because yeah. I thought that was always an interesting dichotomy for me as a dude who grew up listening to essentially the Beatles because my stepdad would just like pound that into my brain from mm-hmm. like 10 to 12. I went to Proctor and I was listening to like Green Day and punk rock, but at Proctor... It was impossible 
to avoid the ubiquitous nature of hip hop. It was everywhere oh, yeah. in the school, like every mm-hmm. music that you you know talk about with your buddies. I, I must have listened to Get Rich or Die Trying a thousand <laughs> oh, yeah. times. Like I, it, and I still Great listen. To it still bangs. I love that album. I've been patiently waiting for it to explode. Oh. He, I, there, I just listened to a podcast. We're talking about this. And it was like, there's a track on that song where he just goes, "You can use this in court. I will kill you. I'm not playing." I was like, "That's a lyric in the song. Outrageous! It's so good." Uh, and I remember like it was so funny. Like ninety, I was like ninety percent of the people. Like 95% of people were listening to that 50 Cent album, and then 5% were listening to Temperature by Sean Paul. And that was like my entire like 2004 graduating class. Um, so, uh, in terms of like performance stuff, like I always think with you guys almost had that perform. Are there va- bands you've seen that do that sort of, we're going to perform but put on that sort of uh, interactivity with the show, that performance of the show that you've seen in real life that you sort of uh, take influence from? I'm I'm a big Coheed fan. Coheed, yeah, love Coheed, and very cool. Production is a huge part of their shows, as too, and uh, we're we're, I mean that's that's something we're trying to incorporate Mm -hmm. into it. Is that you know we have some breaks that like uh, you know normally uh, most cover bands I'm thinking they they would probably just there you know there'd be some banter in the background or something like that. But we don't you know like we have things queued up like we start the ra- the reading rainbow yeah reading song. rainbow oh, we play that sure. out yeah. my favorite one is right before we play uh, one of our songs uh, old number seven by mm. who's that by it's a by uh, the devil makes three devil makes three we play a uh, like a, a lo-fi beat that has uh, some Tom Waits stuff behind it oh god and he's yeah he's just mumbling drunk he, he go- and it it's he goes, I'd rather have a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy. <laughs> <laughs> um, the one that I always think about all the time, because I, I wasn't into the show when when the, when the uh, I started playing in bands. But you know how sometimes you go see a band and they play like an intro from something before they come out? Like you go see Weezer and they start like the Monday Night Football theme song and then yeah. they come, yep. come out on stage? Yep. Uh, I'm a big Twin Peaks guy, so I really want that uh, Twin Peaks intro before I come out on stage for nice. something. I think it's so melodramatic and nonsensical. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, so I, let's do some uh, let's do some lightning round questions. I've kept you guys here longer than I had expected to, so sorry about that. Guys. No, no worries. This has been a great time. Um, so we'll do some lightning round questions. Should we but, put our clothes on? Or? <laughs> uh, but before we do that, where can folks get a hold of you guys in terms of social media if they want to follow the band anywhere? Where can they reach out and get a hold of you guys? So social media-wise, we are on Facebook, which is Handsome Bob. Um a lot of our stuff that we've been posting has pretty much been through Instagram, which is at Bob is handsome. Bob underscore mm-hmm. is underscore handsome. Um, if you're not on either one of those and you're interested in uh, getting a hold of us for a show or anything like that, uh, you can get a hold of me or Chris. Uh, my number is 315-982-0164. Chris, it. if you want to put that out there. Yeah, my number is uh, Broward County Stand Up, 954-732-0622. Rip XXX, man. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to tell you a funny story before we get to letting our questions, because you very nice enough to say, come sing a song. I remember one time, we were playing a battle of the bands somewhere in Utica at a big event. Me and Kevin's band, another band, and the band who won the contests. And the man who won the contest played cover songs, we were kind of annoyed about it, right? But at the end of the show, the band goes, hey, do you guys want to come up on stage and sing a song with us? Um, we're going to do like a thing with all the bands. And I didn't really want to do it, because I was like the lead singer, and I was a prick. And I was just like, I was like no, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that. And he, and he gives me, and he gives me, I'm like, you know what, right? And he sends me, and he gives me a list of songs, and then we go down a list, and it's all like, you know, I'm like, no, crap, crap, garbage, no good, no good, no good, no good. And he gets to the end, 
and the last song on the list is Even Flow by Pearl Jam. I'm like, this one. I'm like, do this one. So he's like, oh, great. This is going to be awesome. He says, do you want to take the first verse? I'll take the second one. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so they start the song, and I'm like, drunk. And I just like take the mic, and I wrap it around my neck, and I just start screaming. <laughs> just, well, just losing my... And this kid is looking at me like, what... Is happening. <laughs> just plowing through this. I will not do that. Is essentially what I'm saying. I will not do that to you guys. Well, see, like, for me, I would have done the same thing with the rap, but it would have been genie in a bottle. Genie in a bottle. Yes, yes. That's what I would have loved. So, right. Can I not to go back no, please, to anything? Please. Just because I want to shout out to the whole band. We were talking about how we were, how we pretty much were creative. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah for sure. So, like I said, uh, Ryan. Uh, Chris and Kenzie get together through Handsome Bob, meeting each other through bartending. I'm gonna make this super quick. Uh, Ryan lives with. Uh, Chris and is jamming with them. Nice. So Ryan, like I said, was just hitting me up like, yo, we need a low end. We just want you to kind of add that, you know, we need, we just kind of need that. for sure. I, you know, I'm, I'm rusty <laughs> for about 10 years and finally got the balls to be like, you know what, fuck it, let's do it. So we jammed and like that first practice, like these guys, it was like almost instant friendship and like it just perfect meshing and it sounded great. The only thing we were missing was just like a little bit of theatrical side of things yeah. and just that mean ripping lead guitar. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, not that Kenzie couldn't do it, but he's just more of a rhythm guy and more of, uh, you know, he's got that keys and he's got, and he's handling Bob with the, all the buttons and stuff like that. So um, I am, uh, you know, there's a couple songs that we play. So he's looking for breaks and there's one song that I can sing and play music on. <laughs> I'm working on it, but that's all I can do. And it's Four Kicks by Kings of Leon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I was just like, hey, let's uh, let's play that. And there's a solo in it, that uh, cool, mean, ripping guitar part. And I was just like, damn, I wish we could add that. And for the Handshake City so yeah. show, I was like, why don't we just have... I, I got a buddy who plays some lead guitar and uh, let him just like kind of rip over a couple songs. So I told Corey, I was like, I gave him four kicks. He was like, hey, just so we're not... Uh, he, he was going to come over and jam, and he was like, just so we're not just doing one song, just let me learn a couple other songs. Yeah, yeah. So I sent him our playlist. He learned like three or four more songs. He came down and practiced four kicks, and then we jammed on a couple more songs. He fucking ripped it up, <laughs> and we were like, I've known this kid forever, never knew how good of a fucking guitar player he was. Yeah, he's a monster. But he ripped it up, and like we all looked at each other after he took off. He went upstairs, and we all looked at each other, and we were like, in... And he was, we were just all like, thumbs up, let's do this. We it's, said if he's not in, we're all out. Yeah. <laughs> we had, we had, like, we just added him and, holy, like, we were never planned on playing out. And yeah. just, we were just like, shit, man, we might be able to start playing out. <laughs> and it happened, you know, you guys, you Handshake the, City gave us a little bit of a, uh, you're always welcome. You're uh, uh, first, uh a stage. First, and, you know, I think the thing is too, it's a little bit like getting a tattoo, I think, sometimes, mm. right? Like, once you guys play the first show out, it's like, oh, now we got to do this more. Now we got to do this all. I don't know why we were worried about this in the first place. Now yes, I'm ready. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's not always like that, but when it is, that's when you know it's, yes. it's all right. Yes. Uh, we are with the boys, AJ Bates and Chris Perez of Handsome Bob, and it is that time of the show for the lightning round questions. These are the same five to six questions we ask everybody who's been on the show since day one. And because we have two guests, we will do this in serpentine fashion. Uh... Which means, Chris, I'll start with you and then go to AJ right. and then we'll continue from that way. You realize uh, you had to explain that to us. I don't know. Uh, Chris, let's start. I, some people, uh, Chris, let's start with you. When you wake up in the morning, how do you take your coffee? 
Oh my god, as quickly as possible. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter how, but just it, immediately. AJ, same question. When you wake up in the morning, how do you drink, take your coffee? I drink my coffee black, but caffeine's been messing with my stomach now that I'm in my 30s. So mm. I try and go to a uh, low caffeinated or decaf tea. Wow, decaf tea? Mm, yeah. I always, it doesn't happen because I need my energy, so I always end up just dealing with the consequences. It depends how late I am in the morning. I'm like, I'm going to make myself... Nope, I'm getting stewards in the way. I go, yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Uh, what was your first, AJ, we'll stick with you, first automobile? My first automobile was uh, my dad's Volkswagen Jetta that he sold to me for $500. Yes, that's a very upstate New York car. That was a great, great uh, <laughs> snow monster. It got me through everything. <laughs> I sold it for $950 to some guy who just came in, didn't know even know how to drive stick, was just like, I got money. Can you drive this back to Barnum, or back to, I'm sorry, um, Syracuse, some Syracuse small town. Um, man, I forget. <laughs> Camilla's Whatever it was, yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, he gave me an extra 50 bucks, so I got $1,000 to drive my Jetta out to um, Syracuse somewhere, dropped it off, got paid. Uh, five years later... My dad worked at Griffiths. He saw my the Jetta still running. Still running. Still still fucking running. <laughs> but now I got my 91 Subaru, and that thing's just as good. It's handsome. I saw it. It was it's beautiful. Uh, Chris, uh, what was your first automobile? I think we just bought it on a deeper level, because my first car was a Volkswagen Jetta. Yeah! Uh, what year? My dad gave me. It was 89. Oh, dad. mine was 98. Through yeah. 89, and it had 150,000 miles on Woo. it. And I'm like, Dad, what the fuck? <laughs> Because like, I went to this school where there was a bunch of these preppy rich kids, and like you know, I had definitely had the worst car in the school. Five speed or automatic? It was five speed. Yes. It was a Wolfsburg edition. It was nice. Oh, yes. Rob Roth, shout out. So I go, I go, Dad, why the fuck did you get me such a shitty car? And he goes, because you're gonna total it. Guess what I did? Oh, for sure. <laughs> Smash. I totaled the shit out of it. So shout out, Dad. I'll give you one. Uh, I don't normally bring this one up, but uh, my very first car. I was born in '86. My first car was a 1987 Honda Accord, and it had the lights that flip up like this, oh, uh, which, is, which is cool in the summer, but not in the winter <laughs> in upstate can't. New York, when I'm out there with like yeah. a, a oh, ice pick trying to get your lights up. <laughs> was that a hatchback shit. or a sedan? Sedan. It was sedan. sedan. Nice. It was a sports edition, whatever Ooh. that means. Yeah. Leather seats, maybe? No. No leather no. seats. Honda's probably still on the road right now. <laughs> it probably is. Uh, so, uh, Chris, you may, have, you may or may not have taken your Volkswagen, your 89 Volkswagen Jetta, to see it. What was your first live music event? Oh my god, this is fucking crazy. It was Gloria Estefan and the Miami Sound Machine. Ah, yes. Special guest John Cicada. Yo! Alright, let's go. I Just have... another day. <laughs> oh man. That was great. Me, my dad, and my brother. That's like the most Florida thing ever. That's, That's pretty awesome. solid. Actually. That is great. What's that the is song? Great. What was her big song? Where uh, Estefan Rhythm is gonna get you Rhythm is gonna get you Miami Sound Machine yeah. Dude, They were <laughs> awesome actually <laughs> uh, AJ you may or may not have taken your 98 Volkswagen Jetta to see it What was your first live music event? So my first live music event was actually Woodstock 99 oh, mm-hmm. so I was Let me think I have to do some math quick I would have been 11 yeah. I been 11 years old yeah. um, Didn't Remember too much of it other than painted boobies, mm-hmm. wieners mm-hmm. hanging out, yep. Very people, people sliding in shit, yep. and tipped over porta potties, and 
uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers shutting it down and fires going up in flames. I feel like it was the the apex mountain of Limp Bizkit's career. Like oh, this was yeah. it. This was it. All was oh, downhill. Yeah. Did you go? My mom would not let me go. Uh, so we watched it. I want to say like on pay per view. I went. I went with it. my mom. See, my mom was not. My, my dad worked at Griffith, so he he was able yeah. to do security. No, my my mom was not feeling it. She was not letting me go. Probably but. smart. I I mean I were. I wish I had gone in hindsight because, like, you know, as an old... As an old oh, kid, yeah. I've, I've been to enough festivals now, though, where I'm, like, I'm 30, almost 36, and I was looking at the festival lineup. They showed me, like, boy, it would really take a lot to get me out to go to a festival. Uh, at 30, oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. Off your last comment, we were just I, would go about to, that. I would go see Limp Bizkit right now and probably have the time of my life. Oh, dude. Oh, yeah. Let's go. <laughs> they played K-Rockathon, like, I would love 10 it. years ago, and that actually was pretty Imagine Imagine if Method Man came out for In Together now. What's that out in here? You I, shut the fuck up. Yeah, like, <laughs> uh, I, that song still bangs. Rearrange still bangs. Yeah. Uh, we can argue about the other ones if you want. Rolling, rolling, rolling. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm sick of this shit right uh, now. Here's your tough question that I gave you guys beforehand. Uh, if you are sitting to dinner with dinner with anyone, living or dead, who is not your family, uh, Chris, who would it be and why? For sure, Donald Trump. Wow, really? I just want to talk to him for five minutes. You just want to stand him up for five minutes? Head and see what he's really about. You think it's all an act? You think it's yeah, all? Yeah, I think. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is, but that's why I. You just want to know. I just want to talk to him. For a minute. I mean, I mean, you can yeah. just go to Mar-a-Lago and talk. To him. I think mean, he's there like all the time. You just walk right in and stand him up. I feel like. I would see if you know. He'll probably ask you for a drink or something. Though. Probably. I don't think he drinks, man. I think he's anti-drink. He'll ask if you, you for a diet you, Pepsi. You know, yeah. What you need to do is just yeah. start golfing. That's what you would need to do. Start right. golfing. Go down tomorrow. You ten minutes. You probably have a conversation with him. Get in with what's his name? The guy who drinks thirty diet cokes a day. The the golfer, professional golfer. Oh, John Daly. Oh, John, John Daly. Daly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Him, oh. That dude. That would probably <laughs> really be a good fun. time. <laughs> AJ, same question for you. Now you got me thinking about that question for if I could go party with somebody. But, yeah, yeah. If you're a party with somebody, yeah, it's a different. Place. It's a different story. Uh, it would probably be Claudio Sanchez. I'd say Claudio Sanchez. Yeah, yeah very just cool. that diehard of a Coheed fan and Claudio fan that. Uh, I'd like to sit down with him and just, uh, it's, his career has been okay. amazing. I've, I've looked up so much of that and uh, have kind of tried to stylize my style off that. Shout out Puerto obviously, Rico. Obviously, yeah. uh, it, it, it's not that way, but. Coheed's uh, <laughs> an interesting one. I, you know, I, as a punk rocker dude in my head growing up, right, or what I thought I was a punk rocker dude, I didn't appreciate Coheed, I think, until later on when I started getting into, like, different types of music. I was in, like, Pavement and Radiohead, started getting into, like, more indie stuff, and I was like, oh, you know what? These guys are... There's a little more to this than I gave it exactly, credit yeah. to, and, like... That was the difference. Yeah. Like, you're a couple of years older than me, so you probably fell in at Second Stage Turbine Blade and Keeping yep. Secrets yep. Yep. when I came in at uh, Good Apollo 4. And uh, yep. Was it Favorite House Atlantic was probably the first song I'd ever yep. heard by... Oh, okay. I mean, that's pretty much what I heard, too. I mean, it was crazy. So I remember MTV MTV would have music videos. I would listen to... I remember seeing that music video, yeah. but then not being able to find the artist. And it never came back up again. So I you didn't know, find Coheed for another, like, two years. I used to work in a record store, like a corporate record store as a kid. FYE. FYE, right? So I, think I, I remember was, seeing... Uh, I used to see a lot of records all the time, even stuff I didn't know about. So it was stuff like Coheed... When that record came out, I could actually go to the the section and be like, "What's this band all about?" Yeah, I like, go through their stuff. Uh, man, I would judge a lot of people at that job. That's a, <laughs> a really judgy job. People just like, "Is this Nickelback record any good?" I'm like, "It sells a lot. <laughs> we sell a lot of it. Just buy it. You're gonna just buy it, man. Just buy it. You look like you're gonna. <laughs> you like you it. look like you're gonna like it. It's gonna be just fine." Uh, <laughs> all right, so I'm gonna lay this question out for both you guys, and then uh, you can answer in your own 
uh, your own time. You are the WWF World Heavyweight Champion. You are making your way down to the ring. The crowd is chanting your name. You hold the belt up over your head. What song is playing in the background as you make your way down to the main event? Uh, AG, let's start with you. Welcome home, for sure. Welcome home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, Survivor? Survivor, yes. What's that song? By, uh, by I Have a Tiger. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I Have a Tiger. <laughs> Wait, aren't those two different songs? No, Survivor's the band. Right. Oh, yes, yes. The song yeah. is I Have the Tiger. There yeah. It is. Or maybe like Cardi B Wop. Oh, yes. yes, that's actually a good one. Yes, subvert the expectations. I love it. And then, Chris, uh, uh, you can start with this last one. Give me one book, album, movie, or television show you are currently reading, listening um, to, or watching. I'm reading a book called "Get Out of Your Own Way" by Russ. Mm, it's interesting. Like a self help book or a fiction book? What is it? It's no, it's like a almost, it's like a self help book. Cool. You know, after your thirties, cool. it's all about self help. It is about self. It's about taking so, care of yourself. Yeah, exactly. How do I rep- <laughs> how do I turn this shit back around? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. You gotta write this ship. Well, you think it's like a motorboat, but it's really like a, 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 a cruiser. You gotta really start turning it a while out. You gotta start turning a couple of years. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It takes a long time. It's like that ship in the Panama, right? You start getting stuck. Yeah. They gotta say someone push it up the other way. Uh, AJ, for you, give me one book, album, movie, or show you are currently reading, listening to, or watching. Uh, currently, I'm in the middle of Captain Underpants Saves the World. Yo! I actually went to the theater, I feel like. To that, see, uh, they, the they made a movie about it. They made a movie, yeah. I'm talking about the book, it. yeah. Oh. I'm a pretty deep book reader. Oh. So, uh... <laughs> pretty good. But I'm in the middle of it. I haven't seen exactly what happened I won't yet, tell you so, the end. I yeah. won't okay. spoil it for you. Perfect. Uh, Boys, I appreciate you spending some time with us here today. I kept you much longer than I planned to, but it's uh, it's a Monday. We're we're having a good time here. Again, June tenth, uh, this Thursday. Not that's next, next Thursday, Thursday coming up. Yep. So June tenth. They say what time you guys are starting? Six to eight. Six to eight. Handshake City. Uh, we might go a little bit longer. I, I mean, it. we'll see. We'll it. see what happens. And uh, I'm really looking. Look, I went down to see. I went down to Barrack on Thursday last week, and there was no bands playing in that early section of the day. It felt very empty, so I'm really, mm. look, I'm really excited to come awesome. see some live music awesome. on Thursday. And I love you guys' show, so I'm really looking forward to it. And all our listeners should look forward to it as well, guys. Thank you so much for yes, joining us. Yes, thank you, Sam. Appreciate you. Yeah, thanks, man. No, no problem. Utica's made a made in Utica handshake city. We are handsome, Bob. Adorable rules. Cheers, guys. We're back to the show in just a minute. Sing something, they really keep asking me. You got to now. <laughs> I know I have to. You got now. to now. Talk all the trash. I know. I was talking all Talk that. Talk about It's time now. Right. Well, go out there. All right. Don't uh, let them pigeonhole you. Do your song. Do whatever. Work song. your show. <laughs> Work your show. All right. Let's get into uh, this week's history lessons. We'll, uh, we're running behind as usual, but it's Memorial Day, so that's mm. okay. On this day, 1859, the famous clock tower known as Big Ben. Uh, rang out over the House of Parliament in Westminster, London for the very first time on May 31st, 1859. Would have thought it was older. Would have thought it was older. Would have right? thought Big Ben was a little bit older. 
Uh, after a fire destroyed much of the Palace of Westminster, the headquarters of British Parliament, in October 1834, a standout feature of the design for the new palace was a large clock atop the roof. Uh, the royal astronomer Sir George Airy wanted the clock to have pinpoint accuracy, including twice-a-day checks with the Royal Greenwich Observatory. What a time. We're like, we got to make sure the clock's right. we got to call the Royal Greenwich Observatory twice a day to make sure we're on cue. Um, best of luck calling. Yeah, best of luck. 1859. Yeah, I gotta send someone down there. Got an elaborate system of pigeons. <laughs> While many clockmakers dismissed this goal as impossible, Airy countered on the help of Edmund Beckett Dennison, a formidable bar uh, barrister known for his expertise in horology, the study of measuring time. Mm. Name Big Ben originally just applied to the bell, but later came to refer to the clock tower itself. Two main stories exist about how uh, Big Ben got its name. Many claim it was named after the famously long-winded Sir Benjamin Hall, the London Commissioner of Works at the time it was built. Another story famously argues that it was named for the popular heavyweight boxer Benjamin Kant uh, because it was the largest of its kind. Uh, even after an incendiary bomb destroyed the chamber of the House of Commons during the Second World War, uh, Elizabeth Tower survived and Big Ben continued to function. Its famously accurate timekeeping is regulated by a stack of coins placed on the clock's huge pendulum, ensuring a steady movement of the clock's hands at all times. Uh, at night, all four of the clock's faces, each one are 23 feet across, are illuminated. The light above Big Ben is also lit to let the public know when Parliament is in session. Mm. Uh, where do you rank Big Ben in terms of like things you'd like to see? Is that high or low on your list of things you'd like to see? Uh, Big Ben, much like probably the Statue of Liberty or the Empire State Building or something where it's like, if I pass it, we'll take a look. Mm -hmm. But I'm not, I don't, I don't, I, and to be fair, I'm not like I'm some globetrotter or whatever, but like, <laughs> I feel like I, I'm not the type who would want to travel to a place just to like, be like, look at the thing and be like, hey, there's the thing. I would rather be like, oh, I'm here in the yeah. place amongst the mm -hmm. people. So I would go take a look. I would be into it, but much like anything in large cities like this, I would be concerned that it would eat up my whole day. I'd spend a bunch of time yeah. in line and then be mad that I did it. Uh, what's the... I'm always trying to get the local experience when I go somewhere. St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York is like that. Yeah. It's like, I go to the cathedral, like, oh, look, it's St. Patrick's Cathedral. It's right here. You here look are, inside, yeah. you're like, okay. Damn, this is beautiful. Beautiful in here. Look how great it is. I'm going to go back. There's a hot dog stand outside. I think they got hot dogs. I, right? be, like, I, I would be more interested. Like, I was talking, I was supposed yeah. to go to Ireland last year before the pandemic, yeah. right? And I was thinking about some of the great churches in Dublin and some mm. of the amazing cathedrals, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about it and I was talking to, you know, who I was going to go with. And I was saying to her, I was like, I don't think I want to go and wait in line for a tour, yeah. but I literally might get up early and go to Sunday Mass. As somebody yeah. who doesn't go to church at all, but I'm like, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm in Ireland, land of my grandparents who, you know, this is the way I was raised one way or another. You know what I mean? Let me just go out here and sit in the back and do the see how yeah, it goes for sure. let me have the experience i don't need the tour i don't need somebody to walk me through and point let me just be in the room and have that memory instead of sitting and waking taking the tour you know what i mean i had a friend of mine once who was protestant and he we were walking by lords once and he's like this is where you go to church i'm like yeah he's like can we go I'm like what like right now he's like i want to see what it's like i'm like it's it's the same. It's exactly it's the, same. More, there's, it's the same. There's, there's not, it's nothing like it. A little bit, a little more pageantry. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna slightly. Get, you're going to get quite a bit more pageantry, a little more opulence. A little you know, bit, is what slightly. it is. Is what it is. Uh, have you thought about rescheduling that trip to Ireland? Uh, yeah, we've done, it, it'll happen at yeah. some point. You know, it's yeah. not right on top of the docket because life continues to shift, right? Yeah, like that sure. happened to be cheap flights found at yeah. a certain time and a certain opening a window with like certain finances committed certain ways. 
But yeah, that'll definitely happen. I'm very lucky uh, to have a partner in crime and love who wants to spend all sorts of time traveling, traveling to see around, everything. Yeah. So all that stuff is on the docket for someday. It's tough for you when you go to like England because they got you know where you stay. You got to have big beds. You can't be staying in no hostels out there. Got people out there. No, I'm not, I am a little past the hostel phase, I would think. Uh, but you know, here's the thing. I grew up in regular beds. That's true. I, like I'm you. Here's you. I, saw I was born old, in the darkness. I saw your old room. You I know saw what I mean? It was like in there. Yeah, yeah. I was born in the darkness. <laughs> it was so dark. A wonderful life. It's very Not nice. like I had yeah, some horrible time. But you know what I mean. Uh, it was still a twin bed. It's it was true. still six five. Uh, let's get on to the next one on this day, 1889. Damn, I really thought I'd swerved you all about a history lesson. No, no, no. These are, these are all kicked today. On this day, 1889, the South Fork Dam in Pennsylvania collapses, causing the Johnstown <laughs> flood, killing more than 2,200 people. In 1889, Johnstown, Pennsylvania was home to 30,000 people, most of whom worked in the steel industry. On May 31st, the residents were unaware of the danger that steady rain over the course of the previous day had caused. A spillway at the dam became clogged and the debris could not be dislodged. An engineer at the dam saw warning signs of the impending disaster and rode a horse to warn the residents. However, uh, the telephone uh, telegraph lines were down and the warning did not reach Johnstown in time. At 3.10 p.m., the dam collapsed, causing a roar that could be heard for miles. Mm. All the water from Lake Conemaw, I hope I said that right, rushed forward at 40 miles per hour, sweeping away everything in its path. People in the path of the rushing waters were often crushed as their houses and other structures were swept away. 33 uh, train engines were pulled into the raging water, creating even more hazards. Some people in Johnstown were able to make it to the top floor of the few buildings in town. However, whirlpools brought down many of those buildings later on. Dear Lord. Uh, A bridge downstream from the town caught much of the debris and then proceeded to catch fire. Uh, some people who had survived by flooding the t- uh, by floating on top of the debris were burned to death in said fire. Dear God. Mm-hmm. Reportedly, one baby survived on the floor of a house as it floated 75 miles away from Jamestown. Just imagine, like, you get the, you fast forward, you get to wherever, they're like, oh, so I guess I'm dead. How did, well, you died in the great dam collapse incident. Oh yeah. my God, I drowned? No, you actually burned to death. Burned. That's terrible. Turns out, yeah. <laughs> uh, this was one of the Red Cross, American Red Cross's first major relief efforts that took place in the aftermath of this. Uh, Clara Barton arrived five days later to lead the relief. It took five years to rebuild Johntown, Pennsylvania, which again endured deadly floods in 1936 and 1977. Floods, man. Floods, I'm no joke. To live down, downstream from the dam. No, I mean, I know we got like the Hinkley Reservoir and that kind of stuff, but like, not. I'm not trying to live underneath the giant dam. You know, I feel like the flood is kind of underrated when we talk about the natural disasters. We talk about like earthquakes and volcanoes and tsunamis, but just like the flood, like the the big time the dam. The flood bursts. is the mundane banality of evil. Yeah, right? like it's yeah. just, it's not like it's not the big, you know, I the it's like cancer. Yeah. Right? It's not the big, flashy, exciting, but it's just the depressing, relentless, like, yeah. coming for that ass, can't do anything about it, of the natural disaster world. Uh, speaking of benign evil, on this day, 1933, actor-director Clint Eastwood was born. <laughs> uh, <laughs> after four years in the American Special Service, Clint Eastwood went to Hollywood, where he began his career in sort of a string of B... Uh, B-movies, it wasn't until... It was back before they had A-movies. Before they had a movie. yeah. Uh, Eastwood played Rowdy Yates in the popular TV Western series Rawhide before emerging as the leading man in low-budget spaghetti westerns directed by Sergio Leone. Mm-hmm. Fistful of Dollars, A Few Dollars More, and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly from 1964 to 1966. I like all three of those movies. I would say that Fistful of Dollars is actually probably the easiest watch. People will say mm-hmm. Good, Bad, and The Ugly, but... 
Fistful of Dollars is a pretty pretty tight movie. It mm-hmm. moves pretty quickly. Right. Um, Clint Eastwood's first major breakthrough role, even though like those... a selling point is like, well, I guess this one's, this one's the shortest. I mean, they're, they're all good movies, but I feel like Fistful is the tightest story, yeah. and it's, like, the most satisfying. Probably I the lo- most, like, sim- if you're used to modern movies, yeah. probably will be the most, like, not, like, culture shock. Like, Good and the Bad and the Ugly is amazing. It's fine. Mm-hmm. But it's a lot of just, like, people standing there. Right. There's a decent amount of that movie where it's just, like... and The 60s are, like... They hadn't seen much. They hadn't seen a lot. You know what I mean? Like much like that, Rolling Stones can make a career <laughs> off seven chords. Yes, like, people hadn't heard a lot of chords back then. That was another band we've talked about. Um, uh, his real breakthrough came in 1971 with the smash hit "Dirty Harry." Though he was not the first choice to play the film's title role, that went to Frank Sinatra, Steve McQueen, and Paul Newman, who all reportedly declined to play the role. Uh, Dirty Harry, the blunt, cynical figure, turned into an American film icon. I could never imagine Frank Sinatra in that role. <laughs> just like gin soaked and like he was supposed to losing his way through it so there's a movie that he's in back in the day where he plays a detective who is supposed to be detective john mcclain do you know what i'm saying like he was in a movie that was technically the sequel to die hard it was based on the book that was the sequel to die hard so there was like an alternate world where frank sinatra would have been in die hard instead of bruce willis if they wanted to go with like the old detective character wow right so there you go sinatra weird guy uh, over the next two decades, however, uh, for Clint Eastwood, by the way, he st- was in a lot of movies still. Outlaw Josie Wales, Every Which Way But Loose, Escape from Alcatraz. He was sort of losing his star power in terms of, like, finding film work. But uh, even though he had four Dirty Harry sequels, by the way, during that period, he did emerge, however, as a big-time director in this era, 1992, directing and producing Unforgiven, which won four Academy Awards, including Best Director and Best Picture, both for him. Mm. In 1998, he did it again with Million Dollar Baby, which he starred as a coach of a young female boxer. Uh, Hilary Swank won Academy Award. He won another Best Director and Best Picture Award in that year. Mm. Uh, In 2006, he became one of only 31 filmmakers in 70 years to receive Lifetime Achievement Award for the Directors Guild of America. His most recent films include J. Edgar, American Sniper, Sully, The Mule, mm. and Richard Jewell in 2019. Yeah. Crazy career. Man, just so many years. Yeah, what a wild character, right? Because I think that for for me, growing up, Clint Eastwood was always, like, the guy in the Western movies. And I think I've never really been able to, like, remove that, like, connotation. Because that's what my grandfather thought was always of Dirty Harry to me first. Dirty Harry? Yeah. yeah. But that was the first stuff I knew, like, do you feel lucky punk? Like, yeah. whatever, like, <laughs> comedy movie they put that in when I was a kid. Ace Ventura, I feel like. like. Maybe that's yeah, yeah. or something like that. Um, yeah, I've actually never seen Unforgiven. That's another one I feel like I should yeah. go back and probably watch. That movie's probably all right. Yeah, I'm sure it's all right. Uh, yeah, I don't have a whole, like, I don't ha- I don't look at him the way I look at a lot of, like, old time. Maybe it's because he seems like a jerk. <laughs> Oh man, I can no longer say you should just watch The Wire instead when you're trying to some pass some dodgy 1978 like B movie. <laughs> just watch The Wire instead. Now you're gonna watch it. Yeah, that's the other one too. Now that The Wire's over, I gotta think of like what's some other long term series that I'll have to. What's next for me now that now that I've started go through The Wire? Is and you already done Leftovers. Already done the Leftovers. Um, already done Sopranos. Already done Breaking Bad. I mean, depends if you wanna go high. Better bro- Call Saul. Depends if you wanna go highbrow or lowbrow. Better Call Saul. Probably. You wanna go highbrow? You can go Better Call Saul. You want to go lowbrow, you should watch Sons of Anarchy. If I want to go middlebrow. Middlebrow, Bates Motel. Honestly, Bates Motel, like, Bates Motel is good. Uh, Should we watch the Friends reunion? I will at some point, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I've I've seen so much Friends, like, I can't even. I know that, like, it um, it makes me kind of an old man millennial to like Friends as much (laughs) as I do, but that show, I mean, 
I'll be there for you. They were there. They were there. For <laughs> no, us, it was. And plus, it was on reruns eight times a day, every day for like my entire. Still makes me laugh. Pre-internet. At the end life. of the day, I still laugh when I watch an episode of Friends. Still funny. Hundred uh, percent. Well, this is a real short one on this day in 1988. Uh, try no more. Sorry, I'm sorry. One more try. Pardon me. Mm-hmm. By George Michael becomes the number one song in America. The song was the fourth of seven singles to be released from George Michael's debut solo album, Faith. Uh, ballad, the ballad One More Try is six minutes in length, and the song explores a young woman's hesitancy to enter or revisit a relationship because she's been emotionally hurt so many times previously. The song concludes with the temptation taking over, and Michael ends by singing the title for the only time. Mm. So six-minute song, he doesn't say one more try until right at the very end. I don't know if I remember this, Michael, this George Michael song. It was number one in America for like any, seven years. I don't know any George Michael songs. You know the I father know, figure? I know Faith. I know Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. That's it. Wake Me Up. That's not even him. That's Wham, right? Well, that's, he's Wham. Uh, one more try. Much like Shawn Michaels is The Rockers, George Michael is Wham. <laughs> one more try was the third consecutive number one single from the Faith album. One more try debuted at an impressive number 40 uh, and matching the speed of father figure reached number one by its seventh week. So yeah. it went from 40 to number one in seven weeks. That's probably a wild thing too. Like your song drops in. It's like the stock market. Your single drops and you're like, oh, this is a good spot. When you get some, is it going up or going down? I don't know. I feel like that doesn't, it probably still happens today and I just don't know the songs anymore. I think that's it. I think that's probably true. Yeah. I think they do still have songs that come out. I do, I do still think they chart them. <laughs> uh, Somebody's got to be keeping track. It's not me anymore. Uh, this song stayed there for three consecutive weeks. One more try was the second longest running number one of 1988. Tied with Every Rose Has Its Thorns by Poison. And just behind the four-week run of Steve Winwood's Roll With It. So no matter how good you are, you can't stop Winwood. He's still there, number one. Uh, yeah, I could give or take most George Michael songs and most Wham songs in general. I don't have any, like, problem with him. But I don't know. I feel like it never really... I thought I told you, when I first heard Faith by Limp Bizkit, I thought it was an original. So that's mm-hmm. where I was with Limp Bizkit, with George Michael there you go. in, like, whatever year that was. All right. Um, we've already gone too long, so let's... Let's do... Okay, so, Kevin, you're always telling me that they're just repackaging our nostalgia back to us as we're adults. Oh, uh, yes. As a narcotic. As a narcotic, a, yeah. Yeah, yeah. To, to mischievous ends. Uh, this week's version of that is Rugrats. That's right. Rugrats mm-hmm. is now back. The new series is on Paramount+. Plus. It's the same characters, and they're all the same age, so it's still Baby Tommy Pickles and Angelica and Chucky and everybody mm. else. It's all CGI, though, now. Mm, terrible. Now, the other thing is... Even though the kids are in the same age range and the parents are the same age, it is now updated to our world. So there are like smartphones. Sure, has and, to be. Right, has to be. Yeah. D- so a couple thoughts about this. One, didn't they have a show where the kids already were grown up, where the Rugrats were like teenagers? Yeah, it's different. Are we ignoring that canon universe? We're just pretending that didn't exist. That's that was that wasn't really yeah for us. But that's like that's like a side <laughs> thing. You know what I mean? That's yeah. for people that like really grew right along with it. I think. Uh, so yeah, what are your thoughts on the Rug Rugrats reboot? Do you have any? Um, anything that might put more respect on the name of the television show Rugrats, which I think is a outstanding achievement in creativity and effectiveness in children's programming and teaching like hard lessons with like interesting art and really cool music. Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo yep. did all the music. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked Rugrats when I was young. They deal with like a lot of heavy stuff, but in a really safe way for kids to swallow. Yeah. 
Um, so anything that puts a little more shine on that, I think, is cool. But like, obviously, I I might not even really rewatch like Rugrats now. If I saw it, I might stop and watch it for a minute. But like, I'm not yeah. gonna watch a season or whatever. For sure. So it's not for me. But I don't like the CGI. Just doesn't have the same. One of the main things I really liked about the show when I was a young kid was the interesting way they would do the art and the illustration. Mm-hmm. And it was so unique and singular and cool and engaging. And you just can't get that with these round balloon bubble CGI looking people. You just yeah. can't get the same thing. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, all right. Let's uh, let's get to Spotify picks mm. real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'll do a mailbag question and then we'll head out of here. Uh, Spotify picks for me for this week. Uh, damn you, Erica Zalatan. You talked about Little Black Backpack by Stroke Nine last week, and I can't mm. stop thinking about it. Apparently, Stroke Nine has a new song out, like Yikes. brand new. How about that? That's too bad. So I put that one out there. And then, I never liked uh, Little Black Backpack. I liked it when it came out, certainly. Uh-huh. Never made, it doesn't make sense. They're doing like that weird verses, then it just changes. I'm like, what are you talking about with the backpack? Never liked it. And then... Uh, Los Angeles is Burning by Bad Religion. Because mm-hmm. I talked about Bad Religion a little bit during the mm-hmm. uh, the interview this week. This is an interesting song for me. Mm-hmm. I like this song. I think it's a banger in terms of a song. But Bad Religion has this thing sometimes where I find their lyrics to be corny. Mm. Sometimes they're cool, but for every like two for cool sure. lyrics that Bad Religion writes, they write one stinker. For sure. Right? And this is a good version of that, with it, a good uh, example of that with this song. Mm-hmm. I think Los Angeles is Burning is a really tight track. And a really hard-hitting song, and sometimes there's some lyrics. I'm like, that's a little cringy. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, but yeah, I still, yeah. but I still think about this song all the time for whatever reason. So I thought I'd put it on here and let you guys decide for yourselves. Mm, that makes sense. Um, I haven't got much of a chance to dig in my playlist yet this week, but one song I know I'm going to put on uh, because I think we might uh, learn it just to add to the rolodex for this guy with the band. The song "You Got Lucky" by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Mm-hmm. Classic. Um, cool use of like Tom Petty, like trying synth, trying to grow him with mm-hmm. the '80s, and it's like an early '80s song. Um, yeah, cool little synth rock track from old TP. All right, and then uh, we'll do one mailbag question. Uh, I think it ties into a little bit to our guest this week. Uh, do you think there are people out there who have natural baseline physical abilities to, say, throw 100 miles an hour or shoot like Steph Curry, uh, but just never had the opportunity to play sports and get the hours of training necessary to do it? Of course. Yeah, it makes total sense, right? Unquestionably, yeah. Unquestionably. I'm sure that there are lots of folks out there who could, if they had the training and the time and the practice and someone to cultivate that talent, Mm -hmm. have that natural ability to throw uh, like a 95-mile fastball, right? Even like AJ we're talking to, like AJ, our guest this week, he played baseball for many years, and he Mm -hmm. was talking to us after the interview about just casually about playing baseball and like different aspects of the game. And talking about throwing the ball at 88 miles an hour. I'm like, that's wild to me. Mm-hmm. That even just this guy in front of me, not that he's not a well-to-do, look, good-looking guy, but a relatively unassuming guy wouldn't necessarily think, oh, this dude could whip out like an 88 Until mile an hour. Until you see him cock up the pitching motion just to make an mm-hmm. example in casual conversation. Like, oh, this is like a well-oiled yeah. machine. And really yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. exactly. Oh, okay. So I think, yeah, for sure. And I've also thought about this with music as well. I think there's tons of people out there who probably have... I think have... about that all the time. I have a yeah. lot of friends with really musical yeah. brains whose minds would really work well if they got into it, who are into things. Yeah. Music may be even bigger than sports because you don't need to necessarily be... A physical athlete or big or strong or like long or any kind of thing like i know a lot of people with brains i think it would be great for music i think you have to have some sort of natural baseline physical ability because i loved sports i played all the sports growing up and i had people who were trying to help me and i practiced mm. and trained and i still stunk because i just wasn't it wasn't there i could do the best i could but i was never getting above a certain level mm. right 
I bet you there's some people who could be like that without even thinking about it, mm-hmm. without even having to have someone mm-hmm. drag them to mediocrity. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? So well, I think about it with myself, with like my size and you know my like natural kind of physical like like strengths and abilities yeah. and stuff like that. Like if I had cultivated that in athletics at a very young age, I certainly could have found some talents in this like giant body that I've been given. Could have been a killer tight end. Some sort of thing like that, really. You know, not, not to say like, oh, I could have played. If I had just lifted, I'd be in the NFL. Got more I'm reps. Cer- I'm certainly not trying to be that guy, but I'm like aware that like at six foot five, if I had started like lifting and eating super clean at fourteen or fifteen, and like learned a sport and really worked at it, I'm sure. If you and I had like could have got a bullshit SUNY scholarship at best. <laughs> if you and I switched bodies for yeah. some reason, and I was like mm-hmm. six foot five. Yeah. When our kid, I definitely if there was wrestling available to me. Right, mm-hmm. I would have been a pro wrestler. Like, there's no question. I would have been not a. I wouldn't. I'm not going to say I would have been the WWE champion. Right. I'd be floating around on one of these indie show promotions, and you guys would all be like, "Hey, whatever happened to that guy from high school?" And you're yeah, like, yeah. "Oh, he's the dastardly destroyer now. He works. He's a professional wrestler. Wears a mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he still works shopping his gimmick. <laughs> he's, he's still, yeah, the dastardly destroyer. I don't. Know, it's not my best work. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So that's that's it. That's it. We're done. Uh, Heather will be back next week when it's uh, she's not hanging out with the fam mm. doing holiday stuff, which you should all do if you're listening to this and you have some yeah. time off. Relax. You know what? For Memorial Day, we got a lot of wild fracture shit going on. You know, a lot of people upset, a lot of people out there. Uh, take just take a minute to reflect oh, yeah. on all the wonderful things mm. we do have, and oh, yeah. and in every aspect of your life, you know, think about people that have made really tough sacrifices for you to be able to have the things that you have. You know mm. what I mean? And there's a lot of people who work hard and work tirelessly behind the scenes yeah. that don't get maybe the thank you, the recognition, mm-hmm. who go out and do the fucking hard shit that nobody wants to do. Um, and, you know, lost a lot of people that way. So it's yeah. always important to sit down when you're having a good time and take, take, just take a minute for gratitude and reflection and just be like, damn, how, mm-hmm. whoever thought that we would ever be this blessed and this lucky. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So take Look some time. Us. Take a little bit of stock. <laughs> That's all. That was lovely. Yeah. Uh, very good. That's all I got. I get, like, my 30 seconds of loveliness a week. <laughs> Beautiful. I mean, Beautiful. That's good. <laughs> all right. All uh, right. We'll see Heather back next week. Thanks again to AJ and Chris Perez of Handsome Bob. Uh, really great conversation with those lads. Come out and see them June 10th at Handshake City. Sign our humanoids. Uh, keep it tight. Woodstock lives. We will see you uh, next week for another episode. The tape machines are rolling. We are desperately out of time. Take care, folks. Be safe and enjoy the rest of your week.